This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Let me uh, help you get through life one show here at a time. Uh, here's the deal. Great show for you today. We are going to be uh, talking with our insider, our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, will be joining us. Much to talk about there in the vice president race. And also, apparently, Bernie is prepared to endorse Hillary. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. It's, it's been a long time coming. And uh, Hillary, then it's going to seem like they're best friends. Oh, we'll see. We'll be getting to that with Joe Cannon and uh, also, of course, talking about, um, you know, the, the tragedy of the, sh- the shootings um, from in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and uh, backlash going on in um, Minnesota, Minneapolis area. So we'll be talking about all of that coming up. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Investigators believe that Micah Johnson, the former Army reservist who killed five people in Dallas on Thursday night, was planning a larger attack but moved up his plan in response to the police shootings in Minnesota and Louisiana. Quote, saying, we think he was probably planning something bigger based on what we found at the house with the explosive materials, said law enforcement with knowledge of the investigation. He had a bunch of explosive materials. He didn't have the explosives created, however. Shatimia Taylor, the 37-year-old woman who helped protect her four sons from bullets during an ambush-style shooting on police at a protest march in Dallas, broke down into tears on Sunday as she told the story of how she survived the carnage of that night. Taylor said she heard two gunshots when the shooting began Thursday and then saw an officer fall to the ground. She says, I was running behind them and I felt the bullet in the back of my leg, pausing to gather her emotions. My son went to grab me, but I was already shot, so I grabbed him and laid on top of him. Police asked was if anybody was hit. I said yes. The officer got on top of me and covered me and my son. Another cop was at my feet and another stood by us and they protected us. President Obama on Sunday in Madrid, Spain, reiterated his refusal to weigh in on the FBI's decision about the private email server Hillary Clinton used while she served as his secretary of state. To comment, Obama insisted would be an inappropriate second guessing of the determination of FBI director and attorney general that criminal charges against Clinton could not be justified. Andy Murray defeated... Uh, Milo's Raonic in straight sets to claim his second Wimbledon title on Sunday. Murray previously ended a 77-year drought in which no British player had won the country's home tournament. And lastly, Matt, The Secret Life of Pets won the box office weekend with an impressive opening of $103.2 million. Wow. The movie only cost $75 million to make. Pets beat out wow. Finding Dory, which dropped to third place with $20.4 million after spending three consecutive weekends as the top box office performer. So apparently I need to go see that movie. Well, apparently people love pets. This is this is crazy. Those are great numbers. Man, and to already be cash positive. woo They're in the money. Thank you, Caitlin. Appreciate uh, the news update. It's also, by the way, uh, International Town Criers Day. And uh, more importantly, it's uh, Free Slurpee Day. Today is the day of all days. Ooh. Yeah, there's Ben working it, working his free Slurpee. Every summer, thousands of 7-Eleven stores around the country celebrate their birthday by hosting free Slurpee Day, 7-Eleven Slurpee Day. 
Mmm. All day long. Liquid sugar. Go get some. Liquid sugar. Wait in line. Another angel had a Slurpee. You know, the angels, they always come back for Slurpee Day. Why is that? I don't know. Just what else are you going to do today? seems like on this show, angels have a uh, sugar fix. They might Mm -hmm. need to talk to a professional. Angels have a lot of stuff they just can't get enough of. They're also fans of Grease. Don't. Don't That's correct. That. Yes, yes, yes. Grease. Greasy foods. Ah, oh, yes. Who doesn't love greasy foods? Mm. Chase down with a Slurpee. Man. By the way, by the way, seven days to Cleveland, yeah. 14 days to Philly, and 120 days to the election. Uh, by the way, two days or two weeks of really stretched boredom on TV. Yes. I don't, I don't like watching these things. No. And... There's just something about seeing whether it's Pelosi, whether it's uh, whoever, whomever. It doesn't matter. Well, the, uh, I, I saw, can't watch it. Was it ABC News? ABC News is planning about one hour of coverage a night. When I was growing up, it was like from six to ten every single night covering yeah, the camp, yeah. covering the the convention. You saw every single speech, and then it slowly whittles down on the networks to one hour because they just cannot keep an audience. Yeah. The cable news channels, they just go wall-to-wall because that's what they do, but it's just hard for people to pay attention after a while because they stop and have a policy discussion. And and, I, yeah. and then they fight over their, their – whatever their platform issues are and it's like, oh, serious. And then they have some some point of order and they try to decide on a rule on how you elect something. And Well, that's what's getting crazy is yeah. now it, for the Cleveland convention, for the GOP, there's a lot of rulemaking going on. Yes. Or this week there will be. And there, there's a lot of positioning – Everybody's either finding a way to maybe try to – this is it, the last chance to stop Trump or – Maybe undermine his influence yeah. if that makes – I mean if you can't stop Trump, it, maybe the next best thing is to just try to you know, slow him down, <laughs> take away all decision-making you know, opportunities. So I read this over the weekend. The anti-Trump forces have unleashed a backup plan in case their efforts to deny Donald Trump the Republican nomination fail – Give delegates in Cleveland the power to choose his vice president. The anti-Trump rebels propose to alter Rule 40, which would give delegates the power to have a say in Trump's running mate. Well, here's the deal. Trump somehow ran the gauntlet through 17 or so people, 16 others, yes. I guess, fighting against him. Why? And he, and he seemed to do it without any problems. I mean – he had he did it his way, which many would say is problematic. Could be. But he ran the gauntlet. So why on earth would anyone want to get in get in the way? Like he made it this far. Now why don't you just let him keep going? Right. Yeah. You're going to now hinder the man. Somehow. I mean, I get it. He's a loose cannon, but you're only going to hinder him. Just get out of his way. Sometimes the the cannon can't be tied down, <laughs> or a loose cannon is maybe that's a tied down cannon. Well. This no po- that possibly could be influenced by the rumors that there is a – I forget the name. But there's a there's a general who, yeah. who he's thinking of. Mm-hmm. But the guy – they're trying to shore up uh, Donald yeah. Trump's foreign policy, d- you sure. know, d- national defense type of uh, credentials. But the guy ends up being pro-choice, which is exactly against well, the Republican Well, did, did you hear his statement? I mean he was – he just obviously was not prepared for the question. Yes. Uh, he fumbled that. Uh, you know, it's women. <laughs> They're important. 
Uh, yeah, he just wasn't ready for the question. But here's the problem. Will you tie down Trump and you're going to end up probably making his vice presidential candidate Ted Cruz? And a Trump Cruz – Who is speaking at the convention. Is he? Did yeah. he decide to do it? A he Trump was... Cruz ticket, I don't know, is a ticket to paradise. It's, it seems like – seems kind of problematic. That's what we're going to talk to Joe about is who do you tie to Trump and who actually wants to be tied to Trump? I mean, you could tie somebody to Trump, but they might like be going kicking and screaming. Don't ruin my political career. Mike Pence from Indiana, apparently the governor from Indiana, he's on the top of the list. Well, there's uh, Trump said there's ten people on his list. Yeah, it's a it's a really high top heavy list. And then he he runs them out at, at rallies to kind of give them a uh, a run through. Yeah, what do you think of this guy? Out. What do you and, think of this uh, one? What about this one? I don't know. It's tough. This is a tough time to be stepping in as president, too. I mean, the from the Black Lives Matter protests, the shootings in uh, in um, Dallas, the two black men shot by police. This is. Do you want to step into this time of the country? This is where you need a big leader. Yeah, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that those in the game right now would be great at this stepping in at this time. Well, they've. This is so far. Both candidates, when it when the Dallas shootings happened, they both didn't. They didn't have any events that day. Right. They kind of stayed off Twitter a little bit. I mean, when they came Donald back, they were kind of made measuring. an announcement that sounded like someone else wrote it. Yeah. Sounded incredibly presidential. He's he's got a communications uh, person that joined him from the cruise staff. Yeah. It worked. Maybe that's someone that's working more directly with him and he's not going to fire everyone that yeah. disagrees with him. That, that was an incredible moment. Like I'm thinking, whoa, who, who wrote that? Yeah. And then you're waiting for like some really crazy tweet oh, yeah. about a half hour later. You're just waiting for Trump to grab his phone and it didn't happen. So. <laughs> they Maybe. must have taken his phone away from him. <laughs> but Barack Obama is about to step in and, and take over and, and make some comments, right? He's coming in today to – They're having a um... – a uh, vigil, I believe it is, tomorrow in uh, in Dallas. You'll have President Obama's there, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, George H.W. Bush. Is that it? Yeah. Bush 2. Right? Bush 2. Bush 2 will be there with his wife. and So they're all going to be there and they're going to speak. So it will be this TV moment again. Well, that's what they need. And I'm not sure. I think President Obama did a great job saying this, this – this is a big time in our country. I don't feel we're as divided as it seems. We just hear kind of the polarizing side screaming. Right. But the majority of the Americans are, are very much divided. We can love our police, not like the small percentage that are doing what they're doing. And we need to figure out a way to unify the country. It's a, it's a tough, tough time. Boy. Luckily, we have some big conventions coming. Yes, they should help. Because <laughs> that's where it's going to get crazy. They won't fan the flames in any no. way. No. Lots of, lots of crazy things about to happen in the next two weeks. Um, other news. It uh, looks like the UK's next prime minister, <laughs> it's a female. She's the it, only one really left in the running. If she doesn't saying. step down like everyone else has. Yeah. I was like, do not let me into this. There's been a, a, quite a list of people that were supposedly in the running, and they all just kind of – yeah, stepped away. They well, there's something about it. Apparently, um, Theresa May is the only candidate left in the conservative side to uh, to take that role. So, short of anybody else coming in, you're going to have a female prime minister. Does that bode well for Hillary Rodham Clinton? Is it time that we just have basically the world now run by females? Let's do it. 
Let's do it. This is it. Wouldn't that be great? This might be the time. Turn it over. Mm. I'm going to ask Joe about that. Because no one's running against Theresa May, for heaven's sakes. Right. Why would nobody want to run against her? It, is she that strong? Just speculating, but there's been a lot of talk about how the Brexit, you had the Leave campaign. Yeah. There was no plan. No plan. There was just, we're going to leave. And then once you once you win and you leave, then they, they go to the the European Union. They had some conferences. The leaders of the Leave campaign went there and they basically gloated that they, they won. Then they got into the details and they're like, oh, well, we'll still figure that out. Like, the, what, what's the exit plan? When, you're, when you, are you going to leave? How are you going to separate your markets from Europe? How are you going to – oh, well, we still have to figure all that out. There's no plan. It's all good. So I think there's a bunch of leaders who look and see there isn't a plan. Maybe they – that was the reason they step away. And she feels confident that she can uh, step up or she's just taking the opportunity – that this will this will be a huge opportunity. Whoever solves this problem, yeah, you know, and that's it. Nobody wants the problem. Maybe she's going to embrace it. It's a huge career opportunity. Well, and what if she just kills it, knocks it out of the park? She's Margaret Thatcher. That'd be great. We need nope. another Margaret Thatcher, another yes. Maggie, another Maggie. Um, anything else going on around the country that we need to be paying attention to? Um, this came this morning. UFC. Ultimate fighting. Yeah, I'm big into that. We've had a couple people on. We had a a, a, a local woman here in the, the yeah. area around, around uh, BYU and Provo that uh, she's a, a fighter, ultimate fighting type. I'm not sure if she's like sanctioned or whatever, but she does that type of fighting. We had a guy in a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he was bad to the bone. He came off of their uh, – they have a TV show where they go find the next ultimate fighter, and he came from that show, and he, he does pretty well. Um, but the ultimate UFC, huge – Viewership, huge money. They make they make all the. They just had an event over the weekend. I love it, but I can't watch it the whole time. It's difficult to watch. Yeah, if you don't like watching people punch each other, it's kind of <laughs> tough. But apparently, they sold or will sell in the next day or two for four billion dollars. Unbelievable money. And this comes just weeks after their uh, their owner said uh, that the the league was not for sale. Says we're not going to sell. League's not for sale. It's not for sale. And then he, the paperwork apparently has already been signed. It says licensing from uh, from uh, money from video games, clothes, and more begin to roll in. UFC's revenue was about six hundred million dollars last year. Wow! They apparently have the highest level of uh, scri- uh, subscriptions when they go when they do like a pay per view. Yeah, I bet they do. Just the numbers are insane with people trying. So they to, made six hundred million, but they're worth four billion. Yeah, that's a really high, you know. That's that's amazing. It's a big number, and it's been purchased by it's a like a talent agency. The uh, the the company they represent athletes. I think they need a category for like flabby middle aged men. Like what do you mean? Well, all they've got are these really young, tight people. You know, fit, strong guys that are capable of they defending need, themselves. Yeah, yes. and you don't even need to do like three rounds. Just do one one five minute round. And just see which flabby white middle-aged man lasts the longest. It doesn't have to be white. Just flabby man. Yeah, it says Dana White. I am the healthiest human ever. <laughs> Dana White is the president of the UFC. He said Last week he said, we're not for sale. He goes, but let me tell you what. If somebody showed up with $4 billion, we can talk. <laughs> oh, that guy's going to make so much money. Unbelievable. I, I saw when it first started, yeah. we, uh, in high school, we were in a wrestling uh, like Christmas party for the wrestling team. And our coach had recorded the very first 
Ultimate Fighting Championship. It was called something else at that, like Ultimate Combat yeah. or something. And it was you fight until someone stops. Well, what was it called? In the you used to be. It was in, like Ultimate Combat. But it was or, in the you were uh, you were locked in a cage. Yeah, cage yeah, yeah. fighting. It was cage fighting. And and the guy that won oh. it, the guy that won it was a grappler. Ooh. Right? Everyone else would go out there and try to have some martial art and everything. He just would get in there and – He'd grab you around the neck, put a sleeper hold on you. Yeah, I hate that. Cut the blood off to your Mm -hmm. rest of your body, knock you out. My wife does the exact same thing. He did that every time in one. I think he did it for a couple years. I remember. He'd just hang on to you. And then people figured it out and then they started grappling and now it's turned into this like martial arts and then you get to the ground and you wrestle somebody. And then you bend their knee the wrong way and then you got them. It was supposed to be like kung fu versus karate versus wrestling versus boxing. Who's the best fighter? And then it turns into this hybrid thing. And pretty much like gloves off, basically. Yeah. Well, they have uh, gloves now. Yeah, but I at know. First, but, at first, they didn't, but they get But even their gloves, allow, I mean, they have their fingers so they can yeah. poke your eye. They're not supposed to. They don't, but yeah, you can. I'd, so, buy, yeah, four, ooh, I'd bite. $4 billion. It's a lot of moo. A lot of moo. But are they happy? Of course, they, have, they might have $4 billion. <laughs> They're loving it. Are you kidding me? All right, folks, we'll take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be uh, talking to us um, about uh, all things political. We're going to try to tear apart the vice presidency, find out you know, who, really, who, are, the, who are the best options for our candidates. And um, I've, I've, got a, I've got a good question for Donald. A little parallel. From Brexit to Trump, which has the biggest impact on the economy? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, as we like to do on Mondays, um, we bring in a good friend, Joe Cannon, who has a wonderful history in politics and um, and just understanding what's going on in D.C., his past work with the Utah Republican Party, but also um, as a Senate candidate and a, as an assistant administrator with the U.S. EPA. All of that on top of the fact that Joe's just a great guy. We call him our insider, and he uh, he just is in the know and is well-informed, and we are honored to have him on the show. Joe, welcome to the show again, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Hey, thanks for um, being a part of this, because if we didn't have you to just pick your brain, I think we'd all be in trouble. And I, this was crazy, because we had you on last Monday, and then I believe right after the show, the, um, the FBI Director Comey came up and, and made his big announcement about Hillary Clinton. So we haven't had a chance to talk about that. What do you think? What is your take on, on the outcome of the FBI investigation? Wow, it's um, it's kind of complicated, and it's probably not like a lot of Republicans. I, my own view, just just a straight view, is is that I think Comey thought she had a lot of problems, but didn't think that she was really going to get indicted or prosecuted by the uh, Department of Justice. I, I have no background knowledge, no yeah. secret knowledge, but I just I just think he thought that because he. Uh, he basically laid out the strongest possible case against Hillary Clinton, and then right at the end saying, but not enough to prosecute. So, uh, I mean, it was a stunning performance. If you if you just watch it, which I, I did, it's like you know, many millions of people did. I mean, he went 
basically point by point mm-hmm. by point and refuted, uh, you know, directly and pretty convincingly the things that Secretary Clinton had said. And, uh, you know, basically handing the Republicans a series of, uh, you know, 30-second spots, <laughs> you know, for the, throughout the, until the end of the election. But anyway, he, uh, so I think that, that's my view. I know other, others have a different view. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I, I just can't figure out why the Republicans decide to have hearings and pillory this guy. Yeah. Um, because now, just from a purely tactical standpoint, what they did, they, the Republicans uh, in the House, they divert attention from the issue that they are now owning, uh, i.e. the whole email, the whole FBI investigation, and they make him the subject of the, right. of the whole discussion. I, I don't know, it's just kind of unfathomable to me, because, yeah, yeah, I guess he could have indicted. I, I, and I don't know that... Uh, ins and outs between what happens with the FBI and what happens with the Department of Justice. But just lay that aside for a second. The best she could say now is, that, well, I'm not going to jail. Right. And every everything short of that, she's going to have a hard time with because uh, uh, Comey laid out the case against her. Uh, yeah, I did talk with a, a, a pretty close Democratic friend right after that in Washington. I mean, that's pretty close to both the Obama administration and the Clinton campaign. And he was, you know, first of all, he thought that this was, you know, a devastating blow, not fatal, right. but devastating. A and B said, but yeah, we, we handed you a gift and you know, you're, we, the Democrats handed the Republicans a gift and uh, you're just blowing it. <laughs> it's and just, I, it seems like just the way they do it. I mean, in fact, even right after that, uh, Donald Trump turned and just started talking back again about um, the star issue. Oh, yeah. You know, we're not even at Donald Trump. We're just talking about <laughs> regularly elected right. Republican congressmen. No, no, no. No, Trump, again, had a golden opportunity. He talks about this, the fake star of David thing. And uh, maybe Saddam wasn't such a bad guy. After all, <laughs> he killed ISIS-type people. You, know, you could focus on Hillary. Oh, let's talk about Saddam again. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. It's such a political carnival. No, totally. I, I, I think you should lead. I, I saw a bumper sticker on Saturday. It's driving around. It's a bumper sticker. It says, Election 2016, colon, L-O-L. <laughs> Done. That's it. I mean, it, that's what it feels like. Well, one thing that I that was weird for me, or interesting, I guess, I don't know how you look at it, uh, in the Comey, you know, um, hearing with Congress, is the fact that now it seems like Hillary may have perjured herself. Well, you do have two pretty serious things. First of all, uh, the State Department itself is now looking into the problem. So it's got to re-look, yeah. a, a new look at it. I, I think that will have zero material effect in the, uh, in the, uh, by the election. But still, it's an interesting fact. And then second, you know, I mean, basically, Comey invited a uh, referral from Congress uh, for uh, lying under oath. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to praise Comey too much. It's, it's, it's baffling to me why they didn't put her under oath. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, did they not I mean, do that? That in, was weird. In the very uh, brief interview that they had, relatively brief, given the whole scope of the thing. Now, I might say lying to a federal official 
uh, is a crime, whether you're under oath or not. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. But still, it's just to me striking that they wouldn't wouldn't put her under oath. That's yeah. a, you know not not a really uncommon thing to do, especially when you're in a criminal investigation and you've got the subject there. But they also uh, don't record it, which is strange to me. It that, seems. That was also. Yeah, I mean, I, very, I thought very often. I mean, you go to deposition. Uh, you've got a court reporter reporter there just taking you know taking it all down. But mm. but, but aside from those, those things, uh, the, the fact is that uh, if you saw the hearing, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched a chunk of it. What I did watch though was you know just kind of the the most tense. Interesting, I don't know, interesting, but Comey said, you know, uh, you know, in answer to some question, did you collaborate with the White House? He said, you know, I knew that's very animated, very strong, and I thought very believable. He said, I did not consult with anybody mm-hmm. about what I was going to say, when I was going to say it. Uh, that was entirely me on my own. And that's pretty interesting because what he did was basically uh, lay out the brief against uh, Hillary Clinton so, you know, so everything's short of criminal activity. And even at first, in his statement, by the way, that, you know, well, there was criminal activity, just not enough to prosecute you. There's not enough. Right. So we, we, don't, we don't think we could have made the case. And that was a lot of what he said. Is he listed in, his, in the congressional uh, hearing, he listed various cases. And, you know, look, you don't want to bring a case that you're going to lose. And that's, you know, perfectly understandable. And then he listed a bunch of similar cases. Now, of course, there were counter cases thrown at him, but uh, but anyway, I'm not going to his yeah. veracity. I'm just going to say that without indicting Hillary, did everything but indict her in his um, comments. Well, and, and his, again, that like you said, that'll probably make a lot of really wonderful videos. I'm assuming that will come up over the next four months, just well, getting at her. Them. I mean, basically, CNN, even CNN, and of course Fox did it, but. You know, you just saw all over in the news clips, Hillary, Comey, Clinton, mm-hmm. Comey, Clinton, Comey, you know, back and forth. And it was uh, it was just. You know, Will it matter, Joe? Will any of this matter? Or is this, you know, even if there's a, now a perjury, you know, case made, does any of this matter really? Or, or is this the same thing we saw with President Clinton, where we just have years of investigations and hearings? So it's it's hard to know. I mean, uh, uh, one trying to get it here. One um, survey just just out shows that uh, it mostly didn't matter. ABC um, ABC News poll shows that it, it, the uh, shoot I have it right here. Fifty six percent of the people. This is going to. I think an ABC Washington Post news poll said that. Uh, that uh, 56% said that they that she should have been they well they disapproved of the director's recommendation not to charge mm. 35% approved 57% say the incident makes them more worried about how Clint might act as president if she were elected and 39% say the issue isn't related to how she performed as a president so you've got you know, you, you've got some doubt, cast. An interesting finding is that 30% of the Democrats um, uh, poll surveyed thought that she should have been uh, in, uh, indicted. So, wow. uh, it's. Uh, I think it's not 
it's not trivial. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know what, you know, what it will mean, but it's definitely, it's not a trivial fact. If you look at, um, uh, will the like, what is the likelihood that this issue will change your support? Actually, 10% of the people said they'd be more likely to support her. <laughs> said it made no difference, but that's a really easy thing to say. And 28% said they would be less likely to support her. Mm. So now, what I couldn't find where they didn't, ABC didn't um, publish the cross tab, so I didn't know how many of those are Democrats and independents. Yeah. And that would, that would make a big difference. But. Well, then, yeah, it seems like, if anything, the, there's going to be a set amount of Democrats that love her and Republicans that hate her. So it's really the independents that seem to be in play. Yeah, it also could, um, it also could uh, dampen voter turnout enthusiasm on the part of even hardcore Democrats. Mm-hmm. They, they just might say, yeah, she, she's our guy, but but I'm not going to go to the polls. Of course, there's going to be plenty of that on the Trump side. Oh, yeah. But that could all pretty evil. The only poll, I think, that was taken since then shows uh, Trump at plus two. Mm-hmm. But that, that could be an anomaly because the poll just before that showed Clinton plus 11. Right. So, and the uh. whole net of things, she's still around 4.5% ahead. Um, well... You know, it's it's uh, I guess it's still early, too. And and honestly, it's 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 the craziest pairing of two presidential candidates, two of the lowest trusted candidates in the history of, I think, politics uh, running for president. And yet uh, it's it's still there, you know, head to head, neck to neck. Let's take a break. More with Joe Cannon. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Plus, we'll we'll get into uh, vice presidential candidates. Apparently, that's uh, it's tis the season. We'll get into all of that up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us, Joe Cannon. He is he's in the know and uh, a guy really well-connected. Knows a lot about what's going on in D.C. Just has, you know, background in politics. Also was a, a editor for a, a large uh, Intermountain West um, newspaper as well. So we appreciate Joe being with us. Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. And uh, by the way, I'm heading to California, but um, because of the All-Star break, I only the only chance I get to watch a game is would be Anaheim and the White Sox. Is it worth it? Oh yeah, Anaheim is a great stadium. The the only thing I don't like about the Angels is they call themselves the Los Angeles Angels. Right at Anaheim, it's kind of weird. Yeah, but uh, no, I've been to lots of games at that 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 stadium, and um, it's, it's a nice, pleasant stadium. Well, when are you going to be down there? Uh, I think I'll be there Friday for that. There's a game yeah. against the White Sox on Friday, I believe. <laughs> mm, I love it, but it's you know I wanted to try to see the Dodgers so that I could get a hat like yours. <laughs> hey, um, uh, <laughs> you, I was going to ask you what are you what do you think about uh, Vice President? Is there any way to have any inkling about who Donald Trump would choose as a Vice Presidential candidate, or is that is this just all hype? Well, everybody's talking Pence. Yeah, everybody's yeah. I mean, you've got you've got Pence. The latest entrant now is 
uh, maybe there's a pro-choice Republican out there. Some people are saying maybe he should choose a Democrat. I, I don't know. I'm not even sure he knows. Maybe he does. You know, I yeah. I, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I guess I do feel pretty strongly one thing, not not that I feel strongly about it, but that I, I believe is the case. If he doesn't choose somebody who resonates with the very conservative base of the party, he's going to have a lot of trouble. He'll have a lot of trouble. Yeah, because it could tip over, right? I mean, he's got to shore up the those that are already solid GOP. Right. And uh, a lot of those, I mean, I, I remember about 60% of Republican primary voters did not vote for Donald Trump. Right. So, yeah, he won. No, I think no one's, I think they're beyond, people are beyond contesting that. I don't really see rebellion at the uh, convention, although... Uh, it depends on how what he does on the uh, when and who he picks uh, for VP, but but still you have a large chunk of very conservative voters out there who you need to win an election. You know, uh, many people ridiculed um, John McCain's selection of Sarah Palin, but others other actual studies show that he did better. Uh, in 2008 than he would have done if he had picked mm-hmm. a hard someone who really resonated with the uh, the hardcore base of the of the party. And I, so I think just tactically speaking, he will be making a very major mistake if he doesn't do that. It, now, it, is it true? You, just Joe, let me be that. I don't know. Well, let me ask so, you. That's a weird. It seems like those that have a political future. Um, historically, uh, like the Rubios, kind of the Corker, these these people that that have more prominence and and maybe a future in in moving up um, to to be a presidential candidate. Sometimes they don't want to go anywhere near this. It seems like, and then some people that don't seem to have a political future, um, like a Chris Christie, maybe a Newt Gingrich, they can't get enough of it. Right, is that yeah. is that accurate? Is it? it if he's having a hard time getting people to speak at the convention, it seems like getting somebody to want to serve as his vice president would be fairly difficult. Well, I think, yes, I, I do think it, it uh, that a lot of people are sort of fleeing uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, if if Trump actually asked Marco Rubio to be his running mate or John Kasich or uh, some of the more, you know more serious folks, uh, I I think I think they would say yes. Do you? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I don't know, but you know uh, uh, the best the best chance to become president is to be vice president in all of American history. Right. But most most vice president, the most the it's not most, but the single largest chunk of people who become president were vice presidents. Uh, and so you're saying, look, I can be vice president. Maybe the guy wins. Guy wins. Uh, that's that's good for me. A and B. In Trump's case, he's actually said again. You know, his he has a meandering mind, and who knows what he really will do. But I think he does recognize he has a weakness, and that a vice president can help. So a, a vice president to Trump in the odd chance that Trump got elected. Uh, that vice president would have, uh, you know, very substantial responsibilities, I would think. So yeah. I don't know. I, I'm just going to say when it gets right down to it and Trump says, will you serve with me? Almost anybody on the other side of that question is going to say yes. 
Probably not Mitt Romney, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody but Mitt. What um, What do you think about Hillary? Does Does she who, – who would she be leaning toward? Who do you think helps Hillary? You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, she's, there's a lot of talk about uh, Senator Kane from uh, Virginia, but uh, I, I I don't know. I, I think I said last week I – having been wrong multiple, multiple times here, but it's inconceivable that she'll choose someone like Elizabeth Warren. She has to choose somebody, a governor in a state or a senator in a state that's uh, that's pretty important to her. And I think that's what, that's what you'll see. Hmm. But you don't know. I mean, she could decide to make a historic, uh, uh, you know, make it totally historic and, and pick a, a woman and there, there are women she could pick. But my guess is it's going to be uh, Hispanic, or a senator or governor from a from a critical uh, uh, state. Hmm. Does does she? Um, I mean, is there any advantage to either of these announcing now? Is it better to announce this in the middle of the convention? What when when historically has been the best time to announce your your vice yeah, president? Well, most most I mean, just overall history, most people choose their vice president after or announce their vice president after their nomination. That's kind of the, the traditional thing. Now, Ronald Reagan departed from that in uh, 1976, and there have been a few other departures. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't see any tactical advantage to either of them choosing before they're, they're the main show, and then they then they announce their VP, then they all come out together, and it's a, it's a big deal. I, I, don't, I don't see either of them doing it early, and I don't see there's no reason for them to do it early. And in Hillary's case, I mean, it, a, an early selection during the Republican National Convention, you know, might you know, deflect some attention to her, but I'd, I'd be pretty skeptical that that would happen. What do you think about what's going on in London post-Brexit, where uh, Theresa May um, now is seems to be the only person now running in the Conservative Party um, for prime minister. It could be Theresa May's to win. Could be. I it did now. Maybe I didn't see this over the weekend, but well, I thought there was a there was one yeah there she yep dropped she dropped out abruptly okay, withdrew well, from the contest. Yeah. That's interesting because May was uh, was uh, a a uh, remainer. Hmm. And and uh, I don't know. She's she both of them seem like pretty attractive candidates. I mean, pretty uh, pretty interesting. I I think both of them were worried, and May maybe in particular is doesn't want to be known as the new Margaret Thatcher. But, yeah. But she's she's you know pretty well regarded. Does that help Hillary? Um, could help Hillary. It could. Uh, but also as I uh, you, you know. Margaret Thatcher's selection as uh, prime minister preceded Ronald Reagan by about a year, and I think uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure there'd be any any correlation. Okay, here's a crazy question for you: which was uh, which had a bigger impact on their economy, Brexit's impact to Great Britain's economy, or would Trump have a bigger impact on the U.S. economy? <laughs> Which, which, so, so, which which tornado was more devastating, Brexit to Great Britain or Trump to U.S.? Well, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of a Brexit fan. I, I think in the end, Brexit will have a huge positive benefit for 
Britain's economy. Already, the stock markets uh, uh, on both sides of the Atlantic have bounced, been bouncing back. And I think with the freedom that uh, Brexit brings to uh, England, or Great Britain will be a very positive thing. So, I, And I can't evaluate what if anything, <laughs> Donald Trump will do to the economy. Uh, you know, hopefully he would be better. He, hopefully a guy who's a business guy would understand a lot of things. Yeah. On the other hand, he promises everybody in all these trade speeches that if, you know, carrier air conditioners go to Mexico, he's going to make all Americans, just punish all Americans who buy carrier uh, air conditioners with a 35% penalty, tariff penalty. <laughs> That's not good for the economy. No. A lot of people, a lot of people think it's a uh, Holly tariffs led us into the depression. Right. So, you know, I, it's the fact that he's a businessman and maybe a Republican doesn't mean that there is an automatically follows that that's going to be good for the economy. Hmm. So I, I don't know. Okay, give Brexit, us. I think, Brexit, I think, is I'm unqualified there. I think that's going to end up being really good for uh, Great Britain. Give us your statesman. Uh, I mean, the only, the only way you would do it is with great eloquence. Uh, help us just understand. Um, you know, 11 officers shot in Dallas, Texas, five killed and two shootings of, of black men by police officers on top of all of the other violence um, that has that we've seen on television over the last few years of policemen killing um, black men um, in, in strange situations. So what do we what do we do? What's what's the answer politically about uh, this this divide between black world, the black, you know, citizens of America and our police force? Uh, well, um, first of all, it's a tragedy. Both sets of killings were tragedies. So it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing. Mm. Well, one of the advantages of age, however, is that you can recall things. Yeah. And I recall the 1960s, there were massive, massive riots race riots in Watts, in Detroit, in Harlem, and in a number of other cities. Watts, Los Angeles, a lot of people don't remember all these. Uh, that happens as a teenager, my father and two brothers and I bicycled from Los Angeles to New York in 1964. We rode into, my dad said, you know what, they just had horrible riots in Harlem. Let's go over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we rode our bicycles. Wow. White guys in Harlem in the, you know, in fact, still after the smoldering ruins, but uh, it was a very instructive. Yeah, we have a discussion about that later. But the point is, in the '60s, there were in, you know serious, serious race riots. There were also serious riots on campuses and students taking over uh, administration buildings. Uh, so you, you had all this turmoil in the '60s, and you know what? It, it, a lot of it kind of resolved itself. I mean, people realized, no, that's that's not the way to go. We 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 can't have that. And uh, so we've we've experienced in my own lifetime much much worse in the in the in the way of violence uh, than we have in this past few weeks. Uh, and so it demonstrates the tragedies. Can't, you can come out of a tragedy. Mm. I will say that one of the things that came out of that tragedy in the 60s, a lot of commentators say that the whole free speech movement, the whole campus rebellion, uh, 
and Watts, the Watts riot, proceeded. So Ronald, the Watts was in 65. Reagan was elected governor in 66. Hmm. And, uh, and, and I think lots of people, even people who don't like Reagan today, would say that as a governor, he exercised a very strong uh, healing influence in, in California. So maybe uh, that, yeah, maybe this is going to, you know, create a leader. Yeah. Don't know, but but all I know is this, that tragic as it's been, we've gone through worse. I mean, we went through a civil war, which is infinitely worse. Mm-hmm. So, so America is a great country. It's a great country. It's got a lot of staying power. We have institutions, structures, history that that can help us. So there, there's a there's a positive way forward here. But there's also an, another way. There, an, another path could well be continuing disintegration. A lot of people in the last weekend, mm. left and right, talking about uh, you know the the, the, the potential for yeah. significant civic unrest that leads to worse things. Well, Joe, that's why we that's why we need your insight. You can uh, you can give us the insight from the '60s and even riding bikes across the country. That's crazy and into Harlem. Wow. Well, Joe Cannon, we appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Have a great weekend, and uh, everybody, go check out the website fuelfreedom.org. Uh, great uh, work done by Joe and his team to help lower the fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. There is still hope. There's still hope, and you are the hope. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Folks, uh, land of the free, home of the brave, right? Well, if, if you're getting too down and out about America, here's a story that might put a smile on your face out of Fort Lauderdale. A group of Cuban uh, migrants landed in Lauderdale by the sea at about 7.30 p.m. last week in a boat. And on the side of the boat was written, Barack Obama the Tremendous. Right. So it's imagine at sea floating around. I mean, it was a big boat, but uh, a migrant boat all of a sudden um, they, they, they pull in loaded with migrants. And as they get off the boat, they come to shore onto the ground. Um, a, a witness, Aiden Salazar, said, I mean, pregnant women, they said the woman they said was at least six months pregnant, a group of four men and two women that included this pregnant woman, they got onto the ground. The first thing they do is bend over. They kiss the ground. They just said how thankful they were to be here. And then one of the first people to see the Cubans arrive gave them a white Donald Trump cap that said, Make America Great Again. And then they took pictures with that uh, migrant um, who had been at sea for nine days. So he's sporting one of Trump's wonderful white cap. <laughs> Anyway, other people brought them hamburgers. They just said they didn't know what it was. They had never seen a hamburger before. It's uh, it's kind of strange, they said, but awesome. The Coast Guard got a call about the migrants prior to their landing and launched a helicopter from Miami and a response boat to capture them. But the group reached the land before authorities arrived. And since the migrants made it to shore, they were able to stay in the United States under the wet foot, dry foot policy. And they got a, a dry hat, too. So life is good, folks. 
Interesting. Uh, interesting, too. Remember, you still live in one of the, you know, the greatest place on earth. Lucky you still, huh? So as hard as it gets, um, you're still blessed. We'll take a break, folks. Come back next hour. Got a great interview with uh, the marriage guru, John Gottman. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the solutions, the insight, the things you need to live in a healthier, happier life today. No exception, folks. We have an interview with Dr. John Gottman, uh, who, I don't know if you know, he's probably the most cited researcher in the field of marriage and family. And we got him. He is the guy. Uh, he, he's he been at it for 50 plus years um, in researching marriage and family issues. So we'll be having uh, that interview with John Mordecai Gottman up in just a few moments. Uh, but first, we've got so much to talk about. Today, first and foremost, International Town Criers Day. This is the day where you know, the, the town crier has kind of lost his position. Oh. Unto these words. Yes. The worshipful mayor has commanded that I make known unto you uh-huh. that on the first day of January yeah. in the year of our Lord. I think I see why they got rid of him. Why is that? A little obnoxious? Yeah. Is that that's how they delivered the news? Well, yeah. Aren't you a town crier? Right, but I don't cry, and I don't have a town. Well, you have a... I don't know. Last Friday, you shed a couple of tears. It's not that kind of cry. Well, I slammed my finger in the door. What am I supposed to do? Well, you cried for a while. Well, it hurt for about a day. Yeah. You didn't need to bring that up. But isn't this the modern equivalent? We just don't have to yell. Yeah, but some do yell. They do. Yeah. It's, it's a sad day, but they also use, like, Old English... Well, that was when they used the crier. It was in old English was the the current trend of the day. Yeah, I'm just glad it's gone. That's bad for your voice. It is. You know, now we have incredible technology. <laughs> and I notice you're fighting your microphone. I don't understand what happened. I think I may have adjusted it incorrectly. Well, Ben just said right before you came in, watch this. I'm going to make him so upset. And he played I, with the mic. I told you not to say that, Matt. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Did I say it out loud? Yeah, I think so. Happy uh, International Town Criers Day. Also, free Slurpee Day. Ah, this is the day where you, mm, you get to wait in line. Yeah, to get some uh, free sugar in your system. My kids are already saying, so, Dad, are we going tomorrow? Are we going tomorrow? Free Slurpee Day. We'll get to, uh, to the headlines um, now. we got to do it. Uh, who better to help us? Caitlin Thomas is here to walk us through what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Fill us in. Thank you, Matt. Well, we have a lot going on this morning. President Obama will travel to Dallas on Tuesday to deliver remarks at an interfaith memorial service in the aftermath of a deadly shooting last week in which five police officers were killed. Obama is making the trip after being invited by Dallas Mayor Mike Rawlings. Vice President Joe Biden and former President George W. Bush will also be in attendance. 
House Speaker Paul Ryan will give a 10-minute speech at the Republican National Convention next month. According to Politico, Ryan will speak on the sharp contrast between Republican ideas and four more years of Obama-like progressive policies and the need for conservatives to unite around Republican candidates in advance of a critical election. An aide to the speaker is reported to have said. Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas sustained extensive second- and third-degree burns on both legs below the knees and both feet and may miss next week's Republican National Convention as a result. A spokesman said Abbott was with his family in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, on Thursday when he was scalded in an accident involving hot water. He declined to provide further details. A Missouri man ended up dead after he tried to follow up a Facebook argument about Black Lives Matter with real-life violence, police say. St. Louis County Police Chief John Belmar says an off-duty officer shot 20-year-old Tyler Gebhard dead after he threw a 50-pound concrete planter through the officer's window and forced his way into the home after the officer's wife refused to let him in. The officer's mother-in-law and two young children were also home at the time. Gebhard had struggled with bipolar disorder for a number of years. The officer in question has been placed on leave while the incident is being investigated. And lastly, Matt, the Portuguese had to win their first major trophy the hard way on Sunday, leaving France with a 1-0 win after extra time in the European Championship final, having played without Cristiano Ronaldo from the 25th minute. Uh. Two hours after being carried off the field on a stretcher, the three-time World Player of the Year returned a champion for the first time with his country. I had bad luck because I had a small injury in the beginning of the game, but my colleagues did their part. They run, they fight, said Ronaldo. Nobody believed in Portugal, but we won. Congratulations, that Portugal. That is great news. Portugal pulled it out Ronaldo, without Ronaldo. Well, I mean, he left halfway through. He got yeah. injured. but He left and, crying. Uh, he, was in, he was in pain. Yeah, he, had, he had a moth land on his forehead when he was injured, too. There was a moth infestation of that area of the town they were in. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. So the bad. whole stadium is filled with moths. I don't know what moths you're everywhere. About. So as he's sitting there, there's these pictures. There's a moth. He's holding his knee, and a moth was lands that on his forehead. Crying? Yeah, probably. Who knows? There's a moth on my head. Oh, that is – that's Ronaldo. My son's like, you know, that's the richest player around, Dad, right there. Right. And then you'd, you'd mess your knee up. He's the guy that grabbed the microphone and he was getting interviewed and he chucked it into the ocean. Yep, just threw yeah. it in the yeah. – but who'd, who wouldn't do that? Right. Who no, wouldn't do that? Not like anyone's going to say anything. It was, right. it was him. It was Ronaldo. Did uh, – I got to tell this story. Um, did you hear about this kebab shop owner in Christchurch? This New Zealand? Is, yeah. We're going to put this up on the Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. Uh, Ahmed, uh, Saeed Ahmed, um, is, he's, a, he's a kebab shop owner. And during an armed robbery, a guy runs in, a masked gunman, ran into his store, an Egyptian kebab house in Christchurch, New Zealand. And he basically just, at gunpoint, threatens this kebab shop owner. And the guy says, the, the guy did... He couldn't give him less attention. He just smiled. The minute you'll and we'll put the post the video. The minute the guy runs in, he's just smiling, and he's got a mask and a gun, and he's pointing, and he's all you can just see. He's probably hyped up on some drug or something because he's just totally moving all over the place. And the kebab owner just keeps putting food in a bag for another guy, and ignores the robber, and then hands the bag to a, a client that was waiting, and literally. He he ignored the guy so much that the guy just left. So if you want advice on how to stop an armed robbery, maybe you just ignore him. This is the show where we give you the information you need. Mm-hmm. Now, he could get some of us hurt. But he didn't. He's not going to change. 
Look, I got a kebab shop to run. I don't have time for an armed robbery. You want to rob me? Get in line. Get in line behind everyone else. Anyway, that's one way to do it. We'll put that up on the uh, Twitter page. Uh, A craze has taken over my family and my neighborhood. Pokemon Go, honestly, it's out of control. Apparently this is a theme song. I had children running all over the neighborhood. We had a Pokemon in our house. As did I. I think that's your first one. And my, my son got it. And then apparently we had two or three in the backyard, and then uh-huh. we had people running through our yard. Yeah. And, okay, so explain Pokemon Go, because it is, it's taken over the world. Okay, Pokemon Go. Apparently the original Pokemon's games were grab a Game Boy, sit down, and play the game. Yeah. Now it's get up and move. You have to go to parks and points of interest and whatever to go to these module nodes, whatever they're calling them, and you... You you pick up Pokemon if you find them along the way. But you pe- can train. You, people so don't you, understand what you mean. I know, but you have to on your phone. You have this app. Yeah, and it opens and it drops kind of a, a GPS signal, so a map falls on there, and it's your, your neighborhood it's, or it's wherever your you're at. Map, right? It's, yeah. It's, and so this character walks around the map as you move. And along the way, a little digital creature pops up. Your phone gives you a notification. You move yeah. it around, and it uses the camera, and you can find the little critter, and then you capture him. So it's kind of an augmented reality. It's but augmented you got to You got to get out of you your chair. To, you have to get out of the house. You have to move around the streets. And so you'll go to parks. I went to a park last night yeah. for a family reunion. I'm sitting there, and I'd been playing the game a little bit just to figure out what it was. And you're looking around. There are people all over the park with their phones holding it out in front of them like they're looking – do they all chase the same Pokemon in the park? I, I'm not really sure. Crazy. I think they they just kind of spawn in different areas uh-huh. for people, and they just and then when show you get up. close enough, you take a picture of it. Well, no, you can, but what you're trying to do is you throw these. They're called Pokeballs. Yeah, yeah. And you throw them digitally on on your screen. You kind of flick it towards the <laughs> the animated critter, and you capture him. Yeah. And then you go to other places called gyms. And you can, which get, could be just a public park. It, they're in. Parks. It could be a church. My church was a gym. I, here on the campus of BYU, driving in, I saw there was three on campus. They're all different. There's a red, you're blue, and a green. And there's teams. I was looking at it on okay, my phone. Okay. But we'll get you to that in a lot. second. So it keeps going, and it's just it, it becomes wow. obsessive because it's they call it geolocating because it it uses your location. Yeah. But through your phone, you get this sort of augmented reality going on where there's these things that obviously don't exist but on your phone you can see them and so you're just capturing these things as you go along Interesting. you can also if you get enough power-ups and experience points you can battle other people with their pokemon their digital creatures yeah go and you can battle each other for digital creatures but the cool thing is the mobility so this has probably taken thousands hundreds of hundreds of thousands of Overweight little kids that would just be on their phones all day, well, we'll and it's see. got them running around parks it's been, now. It's been out for less than a week. We'll see if that's the case. But what this says, uh, dealing with, let's see here, it says uh, even accidental exercise. Nobody is happier than Nintendo by this, oh, right? Because wow. Nintendo yeah. is the one that put out the original Pokemon games on their system. Their market value grew by $7.5 billion in two days as stocks surged because everyone got hooked on this game, Pokemon Go. Uh, $7.2 billion. Unbelievable. Nintendo shares jumped by more than a quarter to their highest level since November. The game became incredibly incredibly popular since its launch just a few days ago. Pokemon Go will soon overtake Twitter in daily active users. People are using the app for an average of 43 minutes a day, 
which is more than both Instagram and WhatsApp, which are both very popular. (laughs) It says Nintendo only owns a third of the Pokemon company, but they're the most closely associated with it, so they're getting all the benefit, even though they only own a piece of it. Interesting. Um, There's a company called uh, Nantic, which is an augmented reality company, a spinoff from Google. And they're creating these games where you use a camera, you use your surrounding area, yeah. and they superimpose images on your surrounded area. And That's in this cool. case, they're little critters that are running around. And it's getting you moving. And there's some activity to it. And people are like joining, like their whole family goes together, as oh, you're, you're, you're seeing. And they're I, running around my parks son in law, my daughter in law, my daughter, and two of my other kids, they can't get enough of it. Now, some problems. What? This might not be a problem. A guy posted a photograph, his wife giving birth. She's in labor. Yeah. He's playing Pokemon Go. There's a critter sitting next to her bed as he's trying to well, capture it. Was it the baby? No, it was a... It was a real Pokey. It was some... It's a real Pokemon. Pokemon monster critter guy. Another Honey, can one... Can you hold on one minute? Some cops, the Washington Department of Transportation put out a message on Facebook telling Pokemon Go players do not play while driving. That's a great point. The DOT in Washington advised fans to play the game safely. No Pokemoning from behind the wheel, the government agency said in a message, which is accompanied by an animated gift of a specific Pokemon as they're trying to make sure people – and I and so because of that, when I entered the parking lot today, I tried the Pokemon while driving yeah. there. Just There's no cars. Thought, it's really yeah. difficult to do that. They need to make it so you can't do it while you're going too fast. This isn't texting. Because it's fun too. My kids were on bikes doing it. Then you just ride your bike all over the neighborhood. Chasing imaginary things. Um, also, it's like a frat party. Armed robbers used the game Pokemon to lure victims to an isolated trap in Missouri. Police mm. said on Sunday about 2 a.m. in O'Fallon, Missouri, officers responded to a robbery report that led them to four people, all local residents between the ages of 16 and 18, in a black BMW to a, a parking lot. The occupants tried to discard a handgun out the window when the cops approached. Basically, what they did is they used the, the game app. Yeah. To you can uh, you get to a certain point you can make like meetup points. Uh-huh. And they would just get people to show up and as they come walking down the 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 alleyway or whatever it is, they just take their money and their probably their phone and send them on their way. Oh my god. <laughs> so you, you they're yeah, just you gotta watch out for people. that. Um, there's a police station. I can't remember where it was, but they told people to stop coming to the police station because they were walking in the lobby, standing there looking at their phones, <laughs> getting all excited and then leaving. And it was just one after another after another, and they told him, you can play Pokemon Go from the sidewalk. You don't need to come into the business. You cannot. Now, now there will be, si- be signs on every business. But you know what? I'll bet you bucks. This eventually will be used to get people business. Maybe. Come on in and get a Pokemon from our business. If you could sell that, that but to that's do that, a you've got to buy a donut. The other side of it is Nintendo's been far behind PlayStation and uh, Microsoft's Xbox. Right. right in the video games, this might be a potential for them to kind of rejuvenate the business on with mobile gaming that they've kind of been toying with, but not sure how to use like what, Mario and all these characters. What happens have. when all of a sudden you've got to go get Mario, Pokemon, or whatever, or Mario Brothers? But then, or when you've got to get Marvel Comics, and you could can be. go to the park and take pictures of a superhero. There you go. Oh my! It could turn into something. So, so if you exciting. see if you see people running around in parks and you know national monuments and things holding their phones, yeah. they're probably paying Pokemon it, Go. It's a lot like zombies. It's a little bit like zombies chasing things that maybe aren't real. I saw a lot of people yesterday that obviously don't get a lot of exercise out there stretching their legs. It looked pretty it's good. Great! Oh, it's great. <laughs> or sunlight apparently because they were pretty pasty too. Well, it's hard to get sunlight when you're back bedroom. Hey, we will take a break when we come back. Uh, we'll be speaking, we're actually playing an interview 
from Dr. John Gottman. He's a professor of psychology from the University of Washington. Interesting interview. One of my favorites I've done um, with truly uh, a, the best resource there is on marriage advice and, and couples. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, a while ago, I interviewed John Mordecai Gottman. He's a professor emeritus in psychology from the University of Washington, known for his work in marital stability and relationship analysis. Um, he, he's been working on marriages for so many years, and uh, including uh, his own marriage. Um, I, I love him. And, and anyway, when I did the interview... I, I had a producer that I was working with um, named Aaron, and he was about to get married in eight days from this interview time. And uh, I, I first question I started with with Dr. Gottman was, what advice would you give my producer, Aaron, who's getting married? What I would say the most important thing for Aaron uh, to think about is, you know, every single uh, couple that I see in therapy, Matt, has left their partner in pain for many years. Yeah. And the masters have somehow communicated to their partner, you know, honey, when, when you're hurting, when you're angry at me, when you're upset with me or disappointed, the world stops and I listen. Mm. And that's the motto, I think, to go into a marriage with, you know, which is really viewing your partner's disappointment or anger or upset as an invitation to get closer and to just stop and say, okay, talk to me, baby. I love that. It's because yeah. it's not saying, to me, that is love, right? Love isn't just always having the feeling necessarily. Maybe sometimes it's just being willing to when you see the pain, which would be the opposite maybe sometimes right. of love, you're willing to go in and figure it out, find out what's going on. Right, right. And listen non-defensively. I mean, I think that's the real work in relationships. I work on it with my wife, too, even to this day. Yeah. So, uh, we've been together 20, 28 years, and, you know, I still have to work on my own defensiveness to say, you know, uh, yeah, you know, she's right a lot of the time. Just <laughs> listen, you know, and yeah. she, you love her, and she's in pain right now. Just, you know, get but, in touch with your feelings of protection and, you know, and love for her and, you know, and listen. But that, that, that's <laughs> it. We got something important to tell you. Yeah, that that that's what that really is. What I'm learning of from a lot of what you teach, and then even Sue Johnson and her work with yeah. attachment. I mean, what it is, it seems like that that hurts so many of our relationships is our fear, our pain. Right? It's the pain kind of body that ends up, and then the inability to deal with that with each other. Yeah, those are the moments when you really want to turn toward your partner. Yeah, and realize that. You know, this isn't just a pain in the neck, you know, and you should walk away. It, this is an opportunity to get closer, to learn how to love better. Oh. And, and, like, I love hearing that you struggle with it because— I do. Well, I think everyone does, right? But I guess, I guess that's the key is admit it, acknowledge it, and yep. then step into it. Well, Julie and I do uh, this couples workshop. Yeah. We've been doing it for 18 years, five times a year, and in the second day we always— talk about an argument we had and work it out in front of the audience. And we're trying to say to people, hey, you know, we're just like you and you and yeah. oh, your partner. We're, we're all in the same soup, you know. We're, 
you know, we have to work on making the relationship better. It doesn't come easily. Do you pick a you you pick a new argument every time you do it? Yeah, whenever. Holy cow! <laughs> no, but that is so real. That is because that's vulnerable, right? You've got to yeah. stand up there and and because it wouldn't be real faking an old one. That's right. That's right. We really we take we take one that we haven't talked about. You know. So. Yeah. Hey. Uh, we say, oh, this is a good one. Let's do that, you know, <laughs> next workshop. Do you guys choose it together, or do you, does one of you just throw it out there? Hey, no, let's do we this do one. It together. We talk yeah. to each other. Oh, and we I love work that. through it. That's great. And, and then we're going to ask the audience to do the same thing. So yeah. they've got to see us doing it. And, you know, we're not any better than anybody else. We use the same tools that we're teaching uh, in our own relationship. Well, and again, because they're really principles, and these principles right. can work. It's just you're still human, and you have to you have to just kind of break down your own fears, right? Your own. Yeah. And, and and what I love about what you teach too, though, is the the predictability of it. I mean, you can right. re, you can tell with a very high accuracy how someone's going to do in their marriage or how how they their divorce potential. That's right. Exactly. So, you know, it's not very complicated, but, you know, you really have to put some thought into it. You know, you've got to really, um, you know, think before you say something, you know, and think to yourself, okay, so, you know, I, I need to be gentle with this person. And, you know, how do I do this? And, you know, the major repair tool of it all is taking responsibility for a part of the problem. Is it? That's, That's the major tool. Partner, hey, you yeah. know, you got a good point, you know, tell me more. Uh, okay, yeah, probably was kind of grumpy. Uh, you know, maybe I really should get off my computer when, you know, yeah. when you're asking me to listen to you. Or, yeah, I probably can't listen to you too well while, while I'm reading the morning paper. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you've got, you got a, a point there. Point. Yeah. So, you know, rather than saying, oh, you know, you're full of it. I'm a great listener. I listen to you all the time. You're always, yeah. you're always negative. You know, I'm sick of it. <laughs> Then you're already so the simple idea of just owning or taking responsibility for your part of it right. immediately makes it so I guess you're not you're not immediately defending you're not making up the story you're not creating an argument and that's it's really huge when women do that for men when a woman takes responsibility and says to a guy you know hey honey you know I know this isn't all your fault that is music to a mm. guy's ears he <laughs> loves to hear that. Oh, boy. I hope your, your fiancé is listening, Aaron, because this could be very, very important. Um, talk to me, John, about this word you use, attunement. Yeah, that, that is an interesting thing. You know, we discovered that um, how do you build trust in a relationship? And the answer is that you've got to really be there for your partner. You've got to be thinking about your partner's interests, not only your own and you've got to have your partner's back. So, you know, when your partner's mad at you or upset with you or, you know, just feeling lonesome and, you know, like things aren't going right, when you say to your partner, just what I've been saying, which is talk to me, baby. Yeah. I'm listening. I'm taking notes. And I actually do. I do, I yeah. I get a yellow pad and a, and a pen, and I say to Julie, okay, I'm taking notes. And the more defensive I feel, the more I write down everything yeah. she's saying. That's good. That's a great practice. <laughs> and, you know, and then I make sure I've got it because usually I miss about a third of it, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm upset when she's telling me that I've done something wrong. Yeah. But, you know, it's been many years and she's right a lot more than she's wrong. I'll oh, yeah. That. Isn't that? Uh, but And luckily, 
because yeah. you're getting a whole you're getting twice as much good or at least opportunity for good. Yeah, she's a, she's a smart lady. So well, that's you know. why you married her. You're not a dummy. That's uh, right. So I listen to her, and I think that's the basis for building trust. Is this attunement means you listen without judgment, and you believe that there's always two points of view in every you know every interaction you have. There's always two different perspectives. You got two brains. Yeah, and they don't. The chances that your two brains are in sync is very small. Mm, it's true. <laughs> so there's really no such thing as, you know, these soulmates that yeah. sort of are in harmony all the time. You know, most of the time, you know, we're not in sync and we hurt each other's feelings, not meaning to. So we got to repair. We got to sit down and say, well, honey, that sucked, you know, so yeah. how about a piece of cheesecake? <laughs> Let's talk this over. I'm trying to think now, what is Aaron worried about as he as he's walking to the altar in just eight days? It's a great question, Aaron. Well, I want to hear. Yeah. You know, I'm usually pretty hard on myself. I want to know how I, and a lot of the stuff you said, Dr. Gottman's really good about kind of taking the moments of pain to grow closer. I guess I, I fear like, I don't really, I guess, fear as much as wondering how to get past those hard moments and not, I guess it's just talk about it, not be wor- af- afraid of talking. Because um, I'm, yeah. I don't know. What, what do you recommend for getting past arguments or... Well, I, I recommend going to, you know, um, Home Depot and getting a clipboard and a yellow pad and a pen. <laughs> and, you know, just... It's very simple. And listening to her, you know, when okay. when she's upset, you know. And it's, you know, it, there's, a, there's a real difference between men and women. And I think women are, you know, see a lot more danger in the world than we guys do. We, we tend to be protected by testosterone you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we like to take risks and jump out of airplanes and stuff like that women you know are really designed you know to protect our young you know and so they're they see more danger in the world and they you know they're they're twice as likely to get depressed as men are too hmm. and so i think if we just kind of you know roll with the punches you know and if she's if she's upset or she's had a you know bad dream or you know, whatever is going on, we're just going to listen. And, you know, I think the art of listening is really a dying art. And if we can listen and really try to understand with empathy and love, yeah, <clears throat> that's really all it takes. I, I, and, you I, know, and then having fun together. Yeah. And, and you... Um, Man's alive, too. <laughs> yeah. See, well, I guess that's one of the keys to this, huh? Is it's not like you're just... The fighting is actually, it's not, you don't want to have a relationship without some discord. You want to just be able to work through it. Right. I mean, because the happy marriages still have contention. They just oh, learn yeah. how I to mean, deal with know, it. Just because there's two brains. That, right. You know, very unlikely that you're going to really be in sync. Even identical twins, we've studied them. They're genetically identical. They have arguments. Do they? <laughs> sure. I'd love to you see know. the fight between twins. Um, yeah, I mean, they, it's on they anything, right? It's any topic. Yeah, <laughs> it's talk about your. You've done so much work with uh, communication, and um, but what stands out for you, John, as one of your great learnings? Like that, like for you. I mean, it's so, what's so funny is when you say it's just listening. It's well, so you're, you know, you're not uh, saying that simplistic. I think it's, I, I think it's also continuing courtship and continuing to really. You know, really notice what your partner is doing for you 
and you know getting up in the morning and saying you know baby you look really hot in that thing you're wearing you know i'm having all these lewd thoughts about <laughs> you and yeah taking the time even when you have children to to go on overnights and have a getaway julie and i do an annual honeymoon every year this is the 15th year we'll be going to the same bed and breakfast oh neat and the same you know the same room we rent the same room and we bring our kayak and we you know we paddle along on the ocean and we listen to each other and we just have fun that's beautiful and you know go to art galleries and uh you know we enjoy cooking together so it's also really sort of continuing play and romance and adventure in your life knowing what your wife's bucket list is knowing what her dreams are yeah and you know really making making life meaningful together you you talk about like making a map right talk about exactly. that because again it the, the whole thing you your whole approach seems more like it's not a destination it's a journey it is so right. we kind of exactly. need to, we need to do a bunch of things through the journey and if we just keep living these principles the journey's going to work eventually i mean it's going to work as you go yeah make a map of your of your partner's internal world, like ask questions, you know, like, honey, you know, uh, how do you like, how do you like this house we're living in? How would you change it if you could? Um, you know, where do you want us to be in three to four years? Um, how have you changed in the last couple of years? What are you thinking about right now? What's on your mind? What's worrying you? And, you know, what are some things that have really given you pleasure in you know, in your life and, some things you look forward to and just listening to the answers to those questions and asking more questions, being a, being a tourist in the landscape of your partner's mind. You know, we go on, we, we go to a town in Italy, you know, and we're, we're filled with questions like who built that church? Yeah. You know, where's that? And where's the market? You know, uh -huh. and what do they make here? And, and, you know, who are these people all about? What's their music like? Well, we need to be that kind of active tourist in our partner's mind. Hmm. And that continues courtship and love and romance and, you know, and sex is important. Yeah. All of that is, is really important. And letting our partner know that they're desirable. Oh, that's beautiful. We're talking with Dr. John Gottman. Really um, extraordinary opportunity for all of us as listeners today. We're going to take a break. We're coming back more with John and just more insight I really, for a guy that's researched for 40 years and has been in so many studies, I'm dying to hear just what's, you know, what, what is in his mind. We'll be back. More with John. Again, go check out his website, www.gottman.com. He's got workshops, classes there, books, events, all of these things to help you create more attunement in your relationships. We're taking a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More in a few minutes with Dr. John Gottman right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Good stuff. Aaron's here today, eight days from the big wedding day, and we decided, hey, let's just let's go get John Gottman and have John just answer some questions for him. But uh, Dr. John Gottman is joining us, uh, one of the greatest, I think, of all time. Uh, uh, oh, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate that. I really do. And again, I've read so much of your stuff, but I also just love your heart and your spirit about it because... There's something um, 
we it doesn't feel like we quite get what love is. And I think we well, always just kind of a mystery. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it is. And yet everyone is in search of it. So maybe just give us a little insight. Um I know in your book What Makes Love Last, you talk about I think it's five things that that are that are five steps that are critical. Do you do you want to talk about that? I mean, what are some of the things that we we've got to have in order to make sure we we've already talked about communication a bit. We've talked about some of the attunement. What else do we need to have? Uh, we've talked about rituals and reconnecting. What else? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is um, really cherishing what you have. And a lot of people, you know, instead of nurturing gratitude for what they have with their partner, they nurture resentment for what's missing. Mm. And, you know, and instead of cherishing their partner and, you know, really sort of thinking about all the wonderful qualities that their partner has and kind of going over that in your mind and magnifying it and then saying, well, I can live with the stuff that isn't perfect. I'm not perfect either. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, really putting a fence between yourself and other relationships. The, the people who nurture resentment for what's missing are never making a commitment to that person. Hmm. And I think that aside from trust, that commitment is the really important thing. And that, that's literally building a barrier. And yeah. Have children, have a home together. But, you know, they're still always thinking when, you know, when there's an argument or something doesn't go right, they're thinking, I can do better. Mm-hmm. And, and so those people really haven't chosen this path. Yeah, you have to get in, don't you? To, you can only get as much intimacy out as you can give the risk, I guess, in. Just like the Beatles said, right? You know, what you take is what you make. Huh. That's right. No, it's <laughs> you're, true. You're really in it to love rather yeah. than to be loved. Just like with your kids, you know, you're there. You're really there to love your kid. You know, you're not thinking, what can I get out of my kid? Yeah. Um, you know, you're there to give love. And that's really what, you know, that's really what grace is, is the ability to love. It's And why is it, John, that we don't see, I mean, we see that relationship with our parents. We're just kind of there to give them support when they need it. We see it with our grandparents, with our children. But what is it about the intimate relationship, the romantic partner that just makes us so selfish? Yeah, you know, I I think it's really that we we don't make it a, as much of a priority as we ought to. Mm. <clears throat> you know, we we put our work first, we put our friends first, or we put our you know our our other interests first, and um, and we don't spend the time to really nurture that relationship. And it really does take time, and it takes energy. So you know. How many couples, you know, don't do the weekly date, you know, and, right. and don't do a getaway at a, you know, a great romantic setting, just or just a B and B, you know, down the street, yeah. and you know, really go for a walk and really listen and talk and, you know, really make that as much a priority as working out and being healthy. Um, I think that's the secret: is to keep connecting um, <clears throat> throughout life. And it seems like with your kids. Um... I was as you were explaining these stories about going out with your wife and on the canoe and all of the talking you guys do, even when you're having an argument, even to have your children be able to see you handle an emotionally difficult situation with intelligence. I mean, it almost seems like one of your most important books you may have ever written 
was the raising an emotionally intelligent child. And everything you're teaching us is the modeling of that for our children. That would inherently really, create to that. really tune in when, you're, when your kids have an emotion. Yeah. Because that's <clears> – <throat> most parenting books are about discipline. But, you know, even if you were a perfect disciplinarian, all you'd accomplish is getting obedient children. Yeah. And we want so much more from our kids. We want, you know, them to really, you know, like themselves and yeah. – respect other people and, you know, and to, you know, explore their interests and to have a meaningful life and, and have good values. And you just can't get that out of discipline. No. The magic moments are when they have an emotion to say, hey, sweetheart, what's going on? You know, what, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, the other day I, uh, I asked an audience, how many of you remember what it's like to be a child? And only about four people raised their hands out of 50. Oh, wow. And I asked them, you know, how many of you had somebody in your life who really listened to you and took you seriously when you were a kid? And every one of them had somebody. And they, their eyes filled with tears as they thought about their grandmother or their grandfather or some teacher who was really special. Mm. Such an unusual thing for kids to have an adult who really listens to them. So I that, mean, the that, same thing is true in, in a love relationship. That, and that's probably what we're all looking for, huh? Is yeah, that, the key. that partner like that. Right, exactly. exactly. And I guess that is, that is the grace you're talking about, to finally have somebody that can bring that peace, that acceptance, that just the safety to let you be you. Exactly. That's very well said, Matt. Well, I, I love the way you said that. Well, I learned it from you, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> well, you know, it really is true. I mean, you know, you're, you're more yourself when you're with somebody who, you know, really likes you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a very interesting thing. Do you, how many marriages, percentage-wise, would you sense have that person, have that relationship? Is, it, is this rare? Somewhere between 30 and 40%. Really? Is, yeah. It's not the majority. Yeah. Because most people really just, you know, get by relationship second. They yeah. take it for granted. Yeah. And the masters don't. They really work on it. That's what you call them the masters, huh? That's a great name. The masters. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I read recently was that, you know, that high priced call girls say that the major fantasy their their customers want is for them to pretend that they love them. Oh, my heavens. You know, here they are paying, How paying somebody yeah. and they love them for a couple of hours when you can have that for free as long as you give love. I mean, yeah. that, that was one of the saddest findings I ever read. Oh, I know. that is That just shows how desperate so many are to have that connected, attuned partner. Right, exactly. And, and yet, too, we just need to kind of, we need to be that, right? I mean, I guess we begin by being it, not expecting it. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, we, we, we can all expect it to happen, but maybe it's easier to kind of coach someone to be what you need once you're being that for them. Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of happens. There's a reciprocity because, you know, once you, you know, once you're kind to your partner, then, you know, oxytocin flows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> once you... Once you hug your partner or hold hands or touch, um, you both benefit. Oh, that's amazing. Like Shakespeare said, the quality of mercy is not strained. Yeah. 
you know, when you're merciful to others, they're merciful to you, and you both benefit. Oh. And again, that, you know, that we lift the marriages that way, we lift the families that way, we lift the world that way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we've got about three minutes, so I want to know just um, what else, John? What else do you think Aaron needs to know? And, and just the world. I mean, what's going on in the mind of an emeritus professor that's now, by the way, now, now you're probably home more with your wife. You probably see her more than yeah, ever. We actually have decided to travel less and be home more and, you know, get out, get out in the boat more and, yeah. <laughs> you know, kayak more and, and uh, build community more here. We live, we live on this little island. Oh, wow. It's up in, beautiful. Are you up in Washington? Yeah. Neat. It's called Orcas Island. Mm-hmm. Quite a beautiful place. So, uh, yeah, it's really nice, you know, uh, to be getting old together and, uh, and still enjoying each other's company. Yeah. Well, that's so a I would, good goal. I would tell Aaron that the, one of the most important things he can do is find out what his fiance's dreams are. What are our life dreams? Do you know that, Aaron? Well, I'm starting to learn, you know, a little... They have... I guess things like a, the dream house or yeah. you know, how many kids you want to have. But I think it's going to probably develop as we get married. Because right now I, I feel like it's a lot of the chemical. As I talked to Matt, you know, you get that chemical and infatuation stage. Right. So once I get past that, maybe I'll discover the deeper things really that are her dreams as I ask her. Yeah. That sound about right? Secret to ask her. Okay. You know, there's a great movie called Don Juan DeMarco. You know, and there's a moment in it when Marlon Brando asks Faye Dunaway, you know, what are your dreams? And she says, I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) That's a great line. It's a great line, you know. I mean, here's a great question you can ask your wife. What can I do next week to make you feel more loved? Oh, wow. Try asking that question every week. Okay. Well, look how vulnerable that is. Like, I guess I should have known that. Or, the, but you're you're communicating. I'm in. I'm in. Right. I'm into you. That's right. That's right. And you'll be surprised that she always has something to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's amazing. You think you think we'd eventually top it out, but no, apparently not. Well, no, she's got something to say. You know. And yeah. You got. Oh well, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Wow. That's good <laughs> okay. insight. <laughs> well, and just the, I, I love it. I love what I love what you've done, and um, I mean, I think Aaron's floored. He just he right. just had a yeah. private tutoring from Dr. Great. John. I know. Well, good luck. Thank Best you so much, luck. Doctor John, and, and thank you so much, and thank you just for your work. Keep it up. Keep changing the world, my friend. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate, appreciate you being on and your show. You bet, and take care of your wife as well and family. Thank you. Bye-bye. Much much luck to you, John, and um, really, folks. Uh, isn't it amazing when you kind of um, you think of everything that John knows, every study he's read, every little statistic he knows, in the end what he comes up to is people just want to be loved. And we've got to step into that space. We've got to be present. It's not about the chemistry. We've got to step in. We've got to start making the difference in our lives. Um, cherishing what you have, being grateful for what you have. <sighs> Good stuff. Man. Okay. We're taking a break right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. 
Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You got to love John Gottman, man. He is the guru. Really cited in so many different studies. One of the programs, um, so I do a lot of coaching of couples, and I sit down, we do what we can to help them learn to connect and stay connected once they're married. And a lot of people think it should just be easier than it than it really is. It, I mean, true love means it should just come easier, right? Well, no, not always. It's hard. And one area that I found um, a lot of people are struggling with is they want to have a hobby or they do have a hobby and they can't – they don't necessarily share it with their partner. Uh, it might be easy to love your husband's fishing when you're dating, your boyfriend, and you're loving each other and you, it's the cutest thing because he wants to go fishing and you want to fish with him because you're dating and it's exciting and – you can go out there, and while you're out there fishing, you're talking, and it's so fun. But that doesn't always last. Very few couples I know are sharing the hobbies that uh, that they that they could be sharing in life. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe one way to find um, some time to be together is if you could find a way to to leverage your hobbies your toys, your leisure time in a way that uh, you could actually do some fun stuff together. For example, here's some rules for you. Remember, it takes energy to make passion, right? So if your marriage is running out of passion, then you got to have energy. And apparently, as we learned this last weekend, there's a lot of people using Pokemon Go as a as a great partner building activity. My daughter, my son-in-law, rode their bikes with their baby in tow and went all over their town playing a silly little game together. But um, what it did is it created some energy. It created some passion. They were sharing something. I have family that play tennis every you know day, every week together and uh, as a couple, and it creates some energy. It allows them to not only go do what they both love to do, but to do it together. They can play against other teams. It creates some uh, fun teams um, activities, but also dating opportunities. So if you want some more energy or more passion in your marriage, then you got to figure out a way to invest energy together. Another thing you can do is to do what you can do together, not what you can't. Um, as is obvious, right? At some point, you're going to have to give your limited energy on something. So the dilemma is one person might be a better bicyclist than the other. So honestly, I don't want to ride with you because you ride too fast. Well, you ride too slow. And then we spend our entire time fighting about what we can't do. But maybe there are ways that we can find something that we can do together. Maybe we can't necessarily do our long ride of our bicycles together, but we can go on a bike ride, a short bike ride every every couple days. There might be something that um, you like, that I like. It might simply be that you, you may not love being outdoors and camping but maybe we rent a trailer and you stay in the trailer and we, we go camping via trailer instead of roughing it out in the out in the backwoods. Another goal or another tool that might help us to bridge our hobbies so that we can have some shared hobbies together is um, make up new things together. Make your marriage not be just what it's always been, but maybe there's something that you can do together that you've never done. So go try some new things. Maybe it's trying new restaurants every week. Maybe it's something about, uh, you know, going out um, and and trying a, a club or a dancing activity or a golf club program or a – I mean, there's so many opportunities in this crazy country we live in 
There's, are you telling me there's nothing you two can't go find that you'd both be willing to try? It also might mean you may, may need to leave some of the, you know, your must-nots uh, aside. If you're somebody that says, I will never go hunting, you might want to set that aside. My rule is try everything twice, at least twice. Try it. Just try it. If it's legal, if it's ethical, if it's moral, try it. Remember, you also don't need to like it to do it. Um, There's a lot of things in our lives we don't like doing, but they're important to do. And that is just as true in our marriages. I may not love doing some of the things my wife loves to do, but I, I can still like it because I'm with her. And I can go find some benefit, if even just the benefit is making our marriage better. You don't have to love everything, folks, in life to make it worthwhile. Anyway, that's a few tips for you to help you uh, bridge some of your hobbies, your habits, your goals with your partner. Got to start somewhere. Let's start there. We'll take a break. Come back. More information next hour to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Man, actually, a bottom of the morning for many of you. This is, uh, it's turning out to be quite a day for uh, politics in Great Britain. Apparently, David Prime Minister, uh, British Prime Minister David Cameron is going to resign on Wednesday. Theresa May is expected to be Britain's next Prime Minister as rival, uh, as her uh, rival drops out of the race. It's, it's game time, folks, and uh, a new Prime Minister as of Wednesday. It's, I love how efficient they are in their political world over there. They elect a party, you know, the conservatives, the labor parties. You elect your party, then they can move their leaders in and out. Oh, not a bad plan. Moving them in and out. So that's a developing story and a late uh, breaking news right there for you. And I'm sure we'll get more of that from Caitlin as we get to it. We've got a great hour for you. We will be um, – we've got uh, a bunch of information, just fun stories that we've got to go through. One including, by the way, a six-foot hornet nest. So what do you do when you come across a six-foot hornet nest in a trailer on your property? Eh, we'll get to that. We'll be talking hornet, hornet's nest. Plus, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us a little bit later in the program as well. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? It's Matt. Um, so Bernie Sanders will endorse Hillary Clinton at her Portsmouth, New Hampshire rally on Tuesday. Clinton's campaign confirmed to the Associated Press. Although Sanders has long held out against conceding to or backing his Democratic rival, he made grounds in pushing his major causes on the Democratic platform over the weekend, including climate change and $15 minimum wage. Protests in St. Paul on Saturday night against the recent police shooting of Philando Castile erupted into violence, with 21 police officers injured and more than 100 people arrested. On Sunday, police announced that one officer had suffered a spinal fracture in the chaos. Protesters brought um, I-94 to a standstill for several hours late Saturday, despite police efforts to break up the crowds. In the ensuing chaos, protesters threw fireworks, rocks, bricks, and glass bottles at police. 
Tennis star Maria Sharapova's appeal against a two-year doping ban was postponed until September, meaning she won't be able to play in the Rio Olympics. Sharapova, who tested positive for an illegal substance in January, agreed to defer the decision, which otherwise would have been issued before next week. Authorities believe that the 536-acre Cold Springs fire currently raging in Colorado was started by one campfire gone awry. Two men, Jimmy Suggs, 28, and Zachary Coy Kendall, 26, reportedly failed to properly put out a campfire that they lit overnight while camping. Winds and dry weather allowed the fire to continue smoldering before it spread through the campsite. The men have been arrested and face felony arson charges. Nearly 2,000 people have been evacuated and three homes have been lost. The wildfire... Wildfire is currently 0% contained. So there you have it, Matt. There's wow. today's headlines. Caitlin, thank you so much. You're welcome. Those firefighters are going to need a free Slurpee. It's free Slurpee Day, 7-Eleven. This is the day you get to go to 7-Eleven and, uh, you know, anytime, Ooh. I guess, through the day. And you'll be hearing that lovely sound. They have Sour Patch Kids flavored Slurpees right now. Ew. Yeah, I know. Does that sound good to you? I don't know. My heart rate just elevated. When I, when I was uh, spending some time in Texas, yeah. there was free Slurpee Day. Uh-huh. I went over there and Slurpee made me sick. Did it? Yeah. Too sugary. Um, I think there might have been something, something, something in the water. Something wrong with the product at that, at Maybe that location. Maybe they should have called it chunky. <laughs> I didn't feel good for a couple of days. That ain't a Slurpee. <laughs> that will make you sick. That's sad. Yeah. And then I tried giving one to my son and. It's too cold. Well, there's, see, there's, they're celebrating their their birthday. But that's not to deter anyone from taking advantage of free Slurpee Day. It's free, for heaven's sakes. What could go wrong when something is free? Just my rule, grab as many as you can, save them, put them in the freezer, life is good. Anywho, it's also uh, International Town Criers Day hmm. for those of you that are, you know, miss the old days. You know there's a club somewhere. Oh, yeah. There's people who practice mm-hmm. old-timey town crying. Yeah. Ben does it, but it's it's not – it doesn't sound like town crying. It's no. just more like an annoying shout. Yeah, it's just sort shouting. of – Shouting. Yeah. Hey! Hey, you guys. <laughs> it's like when we go to lunch and we forget to pick them up. Yes. Back there yelling. It's like, hey, guys, you forgot me. We just keep driving. <laughs> He gets so he gets so speak of for, so mad. Oh. Speaking of forgetting somebody, there's a story mm. um, about parents that they kind of did one of these you know eat and run things where you sit down the dine and dash the dine and dash yeah in western Manitoba a police have arrested a couple after they ran out on a restaurant bill I mean which people do. Apparently, they got in a horse, and they ran away. And uh, that was a long stride, by the way. They they ran away from the restaurant, and, you know, the husband and wife, apparently they had $135 tab, mm. and then they just bolted. Problem, though. They left their 10-year-old kid. Oh, you want to take the kids. Yeah. If you're going to dash, you need yeah. to remember your children. As, as we like to do on the show, we like to coach the con. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Your, your the, children are going to have a knack for wanting to right. be with their parents. Right. So they're going to they're going to basically tell the people where their parent is. The, the rule of the dine and dash, uh, everybody in the dine needs to know when to dash. Otherwise, Court, it's a dine, a dash. 
and then a rewind, whoa, then apology, then jail time, yeah. then, you know, lose your Coordination child. Coordination is what you Yeah, what, what I found is a good signal, uh, pretty – Pretty Uh-oh. easy to determine what the signal is. Yeah, but just... well, like, like like when we took you to lunch, you didn't know the signal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we left, and you were stuck with the bill. Yeah, I think that was twice. Yeah, it almost felt planned. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah we weren't really dining and dashing. We just left him with the bill. Yeah, someone That's was not going a to pay. It wasn't us. Yeah. That's not unethical. Right. It's not like we didn't leave someone to pay twice. That was good yeah. times. Do you remember that? Yeah, I didn't have enough money for groceries that week. Yeah. All right, you had a good meal. Yeah, think about yeah. the meal, though, really. That was a great meal. Yeah. yeah. We appreciate it. You just gave me your fries. Yeah, those weren't mine. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have fries. I had the potato. Oh. Yeah. Terry, too. <laughs> I had the potato. That was good. Anyway, um, this the family left their 10-year-old daughter behind. Apparently, you won't believe this, but they were intoxicated. No way. Yeah, the parents were intoxicated. It's crazy how that happens. Uh, it's, it's strange. Does it say what kind of restaurant it was? Um, no, but I'm going to bet some type of pub that maybe you can get food and uh, and some – it's in Manitoba. Okay. So I'm going to bet, you know, but 135, that, that's a lot of probably alcohol. A lot of beverage on that, on yeah. that bill? Okay. They were very thirsty. <laughs> and um, a 29-year-old man and his 33-year-old wife are now facing fraud charges, not to mention – Wait till this 10-year-old's a teenager. Right. I mean, the stories this kid's going to tell about his parents. What, Mom, do you remember when you guys left me? Remember when you guys got drunk and left me at that bar? Remember the police? Do you remember? You don't even care. Poor kid. Raised with parents that ditch you every time they go to lunch. (laughs) We've only done it twice. Thanks, Mom. Cute little Benny. So we always (sighs) like to chronicle... uh, Interesting competitions across the globe. Well, who doesn't love a good fight? We've had some uh, – what was a city celebration of ducks or something and they were throwing ducks yeah, out into the, the ocean. The duck contest. Yeah. Just really – Nothing we had wrong a, we with had that. A, we had a goat beauty contest oh, in yeah. Germany. Good times. I think it was a cow beauty contest. Was it a cow? With Lady Gaga as, oh, um, right, right, as right. a winner. Oh, right, right, right. That's correct. <laughs> Yes, he remembers there's been like that. ugly dog contests, just different yeah, things we talked about. Stuff. In Arkansas, two families are battling for world supremacy okay. in rototiller racing. Come again? Rototiller yeah. racing. So how do you race a rototiller? Well, you soup up your rototiller, apparently. But you... The contest has been held every year... Those are big. ...since 1990. Yeah. At the Purple Hull Pea Festival mm-hmm. in Emerson. Okay. Arkansas. Population, 354 people. Well, yeah, that'll be an easy one then. <laughs> Not a lot of competition. So it says, in its mundane form, a hand-pushed rototiller chugs along at the speed of a lawnmower. Right. Its engine rotating a set of teeth to break up the soil to mm-hmm. prepare it for planting. Racing models are customized hot rods sporting paint jobs, repurposed parts, and go-kart or motorbike engines. Really? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I'm all choked up for yeah, whatever I reason. I didn't realize this would affect me. me so much. So uh, these two families apparently are leading the way, but they – it says the big event takes a chore and turns into an all-out mud-throwing sprint. Wow. It doesn't say here how fast it is, but it says uh, it's not uncommon for uh, mechanics and the contestants to put over $1,000 into a rototiller. Oh, my heavens. 
a sleek machine. See, painted. this is why Pokemon Go yeah. is probably a better option. It's free, and you can it's purchase free. things if you want. And you get you moving. That's crazy. So a rototiller race. Uh, by the way, as somebody that every – probably August, I pull out my rototiller. Actually, I don't have a rototiller. Yeah. I pull out my neighbor's rototiller, <laughs> and I go mow down – I have this weed patch. Yeah. It, it, we used to call it the garden, and I let it go because – it's there's too many weeds, so I usually then go till it down, clean it up, get it all ready to sod, and then I run out of energy, <laughs> and then we never sod it, and then the next year I do it again. So as one who roto tills regularly, it's a hard thing to do, let alone racing one. So there's a thousand dollar prize. Okay, bragging rights to the three hundred people in the neighborhood. There's 400 people that come out to watch. Oh, sorry. So the population of the town raises by 50 people for this grand event. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so tensions Family. are high. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote from, where did that go? Oh, it says, I don't uh, raise my tiller fast. One of the families, Holdridge, Mr. Holdridge got the early lead, but suddenly his Ooh. back right wheel caught the edge of a hay bale. Oh, launching, launching his tiller mm. into another bay hail uh, bay at, at a sideways Hell. tilt. The, the winning title hey, the winning title, and his life flashed before his eyes. He said, either I'm going to get lucky and this is going to straighten back up or it's going to flip and I might die. Yeah. Have you ever been rototilled? No. Hurts like a mother. And then it, it hurts. I'm serious. Then it says, 20 years ago, Mr. Waller saw his first race at the festival. He goes, I'm pretty good at that, he recalls thinking. I could build one of those. He has been racing and coaching Uh other family members and friends ever since, racing most spring weekends on his family land. Two years ago, he spent a few hundred dollars, bought a Kawasaki motor to outfit with a a new racing rototiller. He's serious. The engine must be under 50 horsepower and run through an original tiller gearbox, leveling the playing field and keeping the overall power of the tiller in check. Mm -hmm. See, I like to use nitrous on my tiller. (laughs) Just the nitrous right in there? Because if you can get a little nitrous on your tiller, holy cow. Physical fitness gives racers their edge since Uh they run multiple all-out sprints in scorching June sun to keep up with their heavy modified garden tillers. (laughs) Says it's a a lot of conditioning. A strong hold on the machine is also key, as they mm-hmm. can be jarred off course by a stubborn chunk of dirt or, hail, or, a, lurk, or a lurking stone. Shallow tines that barely churn the soil are yeah. better for limiting friction and boosting speed. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. I love how they get so in depth and detail on these things. Can't you just see the the after race, uh, you know, interview? Yeah, my tiller, my Toro tiller just done killed it on that first lap. But the second lap, I started to lose it. Once I sideswiped that hay bale, I just couldn't recover. I, you know what? I can't, I can't, Oh, I can't get enough of this. Mr. Holderridge swiped the second hay bale. He knew his race was over. The whole contraption hit the ground, cracking the gas line <sighs> and hurling him into the dirt. He, oh, goes, I got, he goes, I got to my feet, brushed myself off. I knew I was done. Ah, that's so disappointing. The incumbent champion out of the race, the underdog saw the first place within reach. And the story goes on. <laughs> Man. It almost makes you cry. I got all tearied right there. Did you see that? It's beautiful. I mean, it was sad. For $1,000 in bragging rights. <sighs> There's so much that can go right and so much that can go wrong. But you can't always be a champion. Hey, our next guest, uh, what a wonderful interview we had with John Elder Robison. He is um, he is a man that has or had suffered from Asperger's and participated in a trial 
that that ended up changing his life. And now what he does is he talks about the impact of uh, of change. That you would think if you could just have somebody who's who has a little social, you know problem can't necessarily relate doesn't feel like he can understand people's emotions because of his asperger's you'd automatically think that they just want to change right and be just like everybody else john elder robison will tell us the story about how he did change and how it impacted him stick with us folks this is a fascinating discussion of asperger's we'll be right back Townsend Show. You know, imagine living without one of your senses, and then one day just switches on. Suddenly you can hear for the first time or see color. Well, our next guest, John Elder Robison, knows what it feels like, but John wasn't blind or deaf before this miraculous change. Mr. Robison has Asperger's, a form of autism that left him without the ability to read emotions. And he's here to talk about how his life suddenly changed. Uh, John Elder Robison, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for inviting me on with you today, yes. You you bet. Thanks for being here. And you've written many books um, uh, about your your journey with with Asperger's. Talk to us about your latest book, Switched On. What do you mean, what switched in you, John? Uh, What switched on in me was the ability to... uh, read emotional cues from other people. I was always able to feel emotions. Um, Autistic people are often thought as not having emotions because we don't show emotional signals a lot of the time, but we actually feel things very deeply. And, And for me, the disconnect and disability was that I couldn't read cues from other people. So if someone was sad, I couldn't sense, for example, that she was sad. I couldn't offer comfort. And I was seen as callous and uncaring when, in fact, I cared very much. And that was a a disabling thing to me. Now, was John, is that is that with most Asperger's people that are that are uh, that have Asperger's, they they can feel the emotion. They just can't see the cues. Um, It's probably not quite as simple as that, but that is the gist of it. Uh, Autism, if you've got an autism diagnosis, whether that's autism, PDD-NOS, Asperger's, that means that you've got some kind of communication impairment. You might, um, in traditional autism, have a hard time understanding spoken words or speaking words yourself. Um, With uh, Asperger's, you're more likely to have difficulty understanding the nonverbal cues that make up such a big part of interpersonal communication. Hmm. Did you, um, you say it just switched on, your ability now to read the cues switched on? Uh, It did. Now, that was a temporary thing. It didn't switch on forever, but what what happened was the uh, experimental stimulations that I took part in Uh at uh, one of the Harvard teaching hospitals in Boston, Beth Israel, uh, they temporarily turned on the ability to see emotions in other people at a very strong and intense level. Wow. And actually, that was disabling. I was overwhelmed 
by the ordinary emotion of daily life. And, um, and that gradually faded away, but it left me permanently changed. Hmm. Um, just imagine, you know, if you were a colorblind person all your life, and, and you got to be middle-aged, and you just got angry when people talked about beautiful blue sky or green grass, because right. you saw the evidence of your eyes that it was all gray. And, and then imagine you go in a doctor's office, and they switch on color for you. And even if color fades away the next day, you're going to live the rest of your life with the knowledge that color is real, and it's going to change how you see and do everything. Mm-hmm. And that's how it is for me. And and it's overwhelming, you said. Now, this took place in a car ride. Is that is that what happened? Well, um, the stimulations took place in a uh, neuroscience clinic at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston. And what was interesting was the scientists thought that they would stimulate me for half an hour and there would be direct effects that they could measure for about 15 minutes after. So they were very anxious to stimulate me and then test me. And to do that, they put me in front of a computer monitor where I looked at faces with different expressions and pushed buttons for mm-hmm. what they meant. Um, and I didn't feel any different doing that test. So then I sat around the hospital doing you know, paperwork and stuff like that. And I left about two hours later. And it was only when I was in the car listening to music that this like tsunami of emotion washed over me. And and it was totally unexpected because they had said, well, any effects are going to be long gone by the time you leave the hospital. Mm-hmm. So to be overwhelmed by it that night and then have it carry on, you know, for days after, that was a, it was remarkable, but totally unexpected. Oh, yeah. And I guess mind-blowing, overwhelming, because one of the things I read is that you've, I guess you discerned that the majority or a large percentage of our emotions aren't positive. Well, for for you to say that now, I guess I could like look back on that time and I could say what a naive fool I was to think any different. The right. newspapers are full of bad news, but I had this, I guess, kind of fantasy because I was blind to these emotional signals. I thought there must be all these beautiful, sweet, kind messages that I'm missing, and if I could receive those messages, I would be so much happier. <laughs> And and that fantasy wasn't real, unfortunately. Wow! I mean, really, it's I guess it's it's groundbreaking. It's exciting to think that such, you know, um, such therapy might help and work. But it also is for a man, you know, that's an adult who's experienced life differently. It's got to be just almost earth shattering to then have to deal with emotion constantly. You know, there have been accounts from people who were blind or deaf all their lives, and thanks to modern medical science, they acquire the ability to see or hear in middle age. And those people find what you would think was the relief of a significant disability to be overwhelming and disabling in itself. And for me, seeing emotion, it was a, a dream come true, but when it came true, it wasn't necessarily all I imagined it would be. I saw a lot of sadness, angst, fear, worry, and and I began to internalize all those things that I had been kind of protected against all my life. Hmm. Is it 
Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you Asperger's is is who you are, right? It's it's one of the points you make in one of your books that it's just it's who you are. It's not just a it's not a sickness. It's it's your personality, and then all of a sudden your personality was multiplied, I guess, by whatever ten, and then you then taken away again. When you lost the ability to see the emotion, what did that do to you? Was that a relief? The ability to see emotion came on suddenly, truly like flipping a switch. The fading away was very gradual, and even today, my ability to um, read emotions in conversation and seeing people is markedly better Hmm. than it ever was earlier in my life. So even as it faded away, it is not entirely gone. And that was, as I say, a gradual, gentle thing. Um, one thing that I realized in doing this is that there's no free ride. People often say things like, well, 90% of our brain isn't even being used, and if only we could use it, we would be so much more productive. But in fact, studies show that we do use all our brains. And so when you make a change in me and, and I could suddenly see emotion, it's fair to ask, what were those parts of my brain that see emotion doing before? Mm-hmm. And, and, in, and I now think that those areas of my brain might have been what helped me have a unique insight into machinery and mechanical things. Right. That's what made me successful as an engineer. It's not so much having Asperger's as the ability to see into machines, that was unique. Seeing into people, in a sense, just made me ordinary. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it becomes, it becomes your gift. It becomes your advantage. Asperger's is an advantage, and you can change it and become normal, <laughs> air quotes. Well, there's, there's many things about me that are still disabled. So Asperger's is not entirely an advantage. There's, they call it a disability because... There's stuff that's disabling, but that particular thing, seeing into machinery, and that was that has been a powerful advantage for me all my life, and I believe that's absolutely due to Asperger's. Yes. Hmm. Wonderful. And now, um, did you continue the therapy? Are you still doing that therapy? I took part in six studies. Three of the studies were aimed at measuring a parameter called brain plasticity. It's how the brain changes in response to stimulation. Mm -hmm. Those studies didn't have any effect on how I think or perceive the world. And then I took part in three studies that really changed how I see everything. And those studies were in 2008, 2009, and 2010. I haven't done any TMS uh, experiments since then. Is it... um what was what were the findings in the study? If the findings, you know. it was really interesting. They were published in some neuroscience journals. And if you were to read what the scientists published, they it was very dry and technical. <laughs> it was they said things like, "Well, we had you know a dozen subjects, and we we put them in front of a monitor, and we tested them recognizing faces, and then we did TMS stimulations to these areas, and we tested them again." And the autistic subjects, many of them showed noticeably better ability to recognize expressions. So they said that. We were not- a number of us were noticeably better. And they said the people who were not autistic were not affected at all by the 
stimulations, which I thought was interesting, that even though it made us better, it didn't make people who were not autistic super better. Yeah, right. do anything to them. But if you read what they wrote, it's like the life-changing things that happened to me weren't even part of the medical journal articles. They only described what happened in the 15 minutes after the stimulations. Yeah. What about what happened in the days and weeks and months? And that isn't even mentioned in the journal article. Oh, that's sad. Because I mean, well, that, that, I don't know if it's sad. I mean, that's like that's how medical research is structured, yeah. I guess. But that's where the hope is, right? I mean, that's an outlier that they need to go explore, and I'm sure they are. But you're, you're absolutely right. My experience was totally unexpected, and and I think that it is. It's full of hope, not just yeah. for autism and Aspergers, but also it's full of hope for the power of TMS to change the mind to treat other conditions that are really formerly untreatable. Yeah. Oh, I think it's fantastic. And and even just to have the experience. I mean, if every human being, John, could have an experience that is that awakening, um, it, it's it would probably – it would have incredible uh, impact, I think, on how we treat each other, how we see the world. Uh, I just think it's 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 so insightful. I want to take a break. We'll come back, John, and continue this discussion. I, I really want to know um, what what the rest of us need to learn um, about just what you're experiencing, having not had the emotional you know gifts and then having received it, and then still kind of in, in a more moderate level how it's impacting you. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue this discussion about the book "Switched On: A Memoir of Brain Change and Emotional Awakening." by John Elder Robinson. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. Can you imagine having your hearing turned on for the first time? As and you're an adult, and all of a sudden you can hear everything. The birds, you know, you can you can hear the moans of your children as they you tell them to go to bed. It could be overwhelming, right? To have uh, to have this one of your senses reignited. Well, our guest today, John Elder Robison. Um, has Asperger's, which is a form of autism, that left him without the ability to um, read emotions. And uh, he then went through some therapy and um, for a while had uh, had his the switch switched on. The emotional recognition switch kicked on. And in a profound way, he still has many benefits of, of the ability to still uh, sense and, and see emotion a little bit better today. But he's walking us through some of his lessons, and uh, we appreciate you, John, being here. It really is an interesting book. It's quite a journey, really. It's, you know, what I've just realized that's kind of remarkable is what? that people, after I wrote Look Me in the Eye, they remarked on the different things I'd been successful with, I, you know, being an engineer for rock and roll bands and working on some of the uh, earlier electronic games and toys, and then course taking up book writing and photography but all those things are solitary activities i did them alone 
You, yeah. you do that kind of stuff alone. And if you look at what I'm known for today, today I serve on the federal government committee that makes the strategic plan for autism along with 35 other people. Wow. I teach uh, neurodiversity and autism at William and Mary in Virginia, again, with a bunch of students and, and fellow faculty. I, I serve on a bunch of different committees uh, advocating for autism and people with differences. All those things are group activities. Never in my life was I successful in a group activity before doing these experiments. Hmm. And now that's like the main focus of my life. And I realized, isn't that kind of a remarkable change? Yeah. I mean, it really is. And it's so is that, John, your point that there's hope? I mean, there's you this with with Asperger's. It's not a death sentence. It's you also have gifts coming from it as well. Um, And it's that there's there's hope that I guess with some of the therapies, but even just, I guess, with some understanding, you might be able to improve your conditions. I think one aspect of hope is that my experience uh, suddenly seeing emotion after not seeing it all these years showed me that maybe the grass isn't always greener, as mm. I thought it was. And that in itself is hopeful for young people with Asperger's, just that it helped me see my gifts more clearly. But at the same time, I recognize that there are probably quite a few people on the autism spectrum who feel just like I do. They feel disabled by a limited ability to read emotional cues in other people, and they think, what if I could make that better in myself? And I think the promise that we have a therapy under research now that can truly do that, that has the potential to be life-changing for others, just as it was life-changing for me. And finally, there's the promise of TMS to treat other conditions like epilepsy, addiction, anxiety, and and those things can be truly life-saving. And again, we're just, we're really on the cutting edge right now, right? It's just getting started. TMS is a targeted therapy where they're firing electromagnetic energy into an area of your brain that's maybe between the size of a marble and the size of a golf ball. So if you kind of hold a marble up to your head, And you imagine, in this area, holding it up by your temple, we could impact seeing emotions and autism. And then you hold it maybe over by your left ear, and you think, in this area, we can relieve depression, because there's a 1,000 TMS centers treating depression in the United States today. And then think, how many other places could we put that on your head, and what conditions might we be able to treat all the other places we can place it? We haven't even scratched the surface with the potential. Wow. And and TMS stands for what? Transcranial? Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yeah. And it's a process where they use an electrical coil, like an electromagnet in science class, and they pulse it with energy. And whenever they pulse it, it induces tiny electrical currents in your brain underneath the coil. Hmm. So it's done while you're fully awake and conscious. You don't feel uh, pain. You might feel, it feels like kind of weird. It like puts your mind in neutral, mm-hmm. but it's, it's definitely not, not a painful thing. Wow. And, um, and it's a gentle process in that it's not done under anesthesia. People sometimes compare it to ECT, 
uh, ECT is a violent jolting of the brain that's done under anesthesia. Yeah, right. Millions of times gentler than that. Now, and you, it's targeted. ECT goes all through your head. Yeah. This doesn't. Are you, you're married, right, John? I am. I actually got divorced after the TMS sessions, and then I that's remarried what, a few years later. Well, yes. what, that's what I wanted to ask you, is how did it impact your relationships? Because it opened your eyes to such a new kind of world, um, but it also opened yourself up to pain more. As much as I feel hopeful about the promise of TMS, I have to say the impact on the relationships I had going into it was sad. Hmm. My wife had been depressed most of her life. She's just a person with clinical depression. And because I'm oblivious, I guess, to that, or I was... Uh, she could wake up in the morning and feel like, well, I can't go to work today. I'm really, I'm just, I'm just feeling really sad today. And I would say, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'll see you later. Yeah. And I could, um, I could live with that. It was okay. We got along and it was, a, 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 it was okay. But then after TMS, suddenly I saw her depression and it was like a suffocating mat. And I felt like I was drowning. Mm. And married life foundered as a result. And, and that's a really, really sad and totally unexpected result of the TMS. I, I would never have expected that. And, right. and you know what was also really sad? What? Was looking at memories where I remembered laughing with other people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly with the knowledge of TMS, it's... It's so weird that I saw my memories in a different light, and I realized I was the joke. They were laughing at me. Uh, and all of a sudden, where it used to feel funny, now it was hurtful and mean. Yeah. And, and I remembered so many things from my past that I thought were okay or funny, and now they're painful, bad memories. And I can't remember a single thing from my past that turned good in comparison, only things that turned bad. Oh, wow. And, and I now see how autism provided me a tremendous protective shield. And I think about that, and I think, well, aren't I better off to realize those people were laughing at me and they weren't my true friends? And, and I guess that's true. But you know, it hurts to know that. Yeah. And, and sometimes you think, Maybe I'd rather just be dumb. What was the harm in that to to not see it? I'd rather not have known. That's right. No, I mean, isn't that – it's the double-edged sword you brought up, huh? It sure is, and, and that was really, really painful. But I have to say that knowing the truth is probably always better, just yeah. that it hurts. Yeah, and it also kind of just this crazy balance that a lot of us have been thrown into where – you know, we we not only maybe can see the emotion, but we also have the ability to to manage the relationship. Um, and yet, too, the blessing of knowing that when with, with your autism, you also had the gift of understanding machinery, kind of on a genius level. That that was a great gift as well. I mean, it's it's like we all carry gifts, don't we, and curses. I think we do. Sometimes people. Um miss that, especially parents with children on the autism spectrum, Yeah, because we learn about autism 
when we're diagnosed because we fail at something. We don't ever learn about it because of the ways it makes us exceptional. And, and autism has disabled me in, in ways like seeing into other people, mm-hmm. but it's provided me the gifts that have made me a successful person, too. Oh, totally. Well, and John, we appreciate you sharing those gifts. That uh, really very insightful into the power of emotion and autism and Asperger's. Um, it's really a beautiful story. John Elder Robison, thank you so much. Again, if they go to the website, johnrobison.com, they can, you can get all of his books, his materials, find out how to come in and have him come in and, and counsel your organization on autism as well. John Elder Robison, great stuff. New York Times bestseller, folks, and who to thunk it, right? Turn on the emotions, and you still have memories, right? So your memories, you'll go through it with all of your new emotional insight. But how stressful, how difficult, too. Mm. Consider yourself blessed, folks, uh, for it, for just being where you are and having what you have. Because uh, there's a lot that can go wrong and could go right that could add so much to life in complexity and joy. There's the crazy paradox. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Don't hurt me. Let's uh, let's throw it down to to two of the greatest. BYU Sports Nation. They're always bringing it. We're gonna go see what our good buddies are doing and prep for their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. I love this song so much. Hit it! Hit it! Is this Hadaway? Lady, don't hurt me. Mmm. Dude, you got a great vibrato. Oh, stop it. Seriously. Big... Is this the one from Night at the Roxbury? That it is. <laughs> As I'm. Wasn't that my head back and forth? Hey, speaking of night at the Roxbury, I, I had a day at the Roxbury with you guys. Oh, you last got Friday. to. Uh, I got to, to hang take out in the full gravity of BYU Sports Nation. It was like five or six hours, five hours of just heaven. Maybe it was not that long. It felt <laughs> like it was probably just a couple hours. You have an interesting definition of heaven. It was fun. It was fun to watch you guys in action. I didn't realize you all fought as much as you do and throw food and the violence. Well, you brought the food. Okay. You caused the food. I part. did. I totally did. Jason, you should have been there, brother. Yeah, I, I saw the tweets. I was, uh, I know, I was a little disappointed that yeah. uh, that I didn't get to hang out with you. But well, that's fine. I know, but I didn't think you could have bagels with your braces. <laughs> There's a lot of things that I shouldn't <laughs> eat with my braces. I don't want to ruin do anyway. But I do. I, I don't want to ruin your wires. <laughs> hey, it was fun. It was lots of fun. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about just. You, Spencer, how the control, the power, just the skills you put, you oh have. Oh, my goodness. Behind the scene, the stuff that you do to, to get the game out, it's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Hey, um, what do you think of Tim Duncan? I think that Tim Duncan, and I, and I can't speak for Jason Shepard. because He's got his own opinion Good as riddance. a jazz fan for yeah. Tim Duncan. <laughs> but I think he's been a great ambassador to basketball yeah. and the National Basketball Association. I really do. People, but he's not doing the Kobe. People don't like him because he's been consistently good. Yeah. He's pesky, and he just wins. He's just shy, dominant. Again, reminds me You can't me of, deny how good this – I mean, to say – honestly, to say he's a, a first-time – Hall of Famer, I mean, just doesn't even do it justice. I right. mean, he's unbelievable. That doesn't mean I have to like him. <laughs> but, see, Kobe did the wave off, right? Every yeah, yeah. every game, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And then Tim just retires. Well, did you see that they, they they are going to have a press conference? 
he's just not going to be there. Are you serious? Seriously. Somebody said, if that isn't Tim Duncan to a T, I don't know what is. Yeah, I guess you don't have to be. Honestly, though, I mean, he's he's one of the greatest of all time, and he, he did it the right way in terms of he, he was not, as Carl Malone used to call him, knuckleheads. He wasn't a knucklehead. <laughs> he never, you know, you never heard bad things about Tim Duncan. He just went about his business. Yeah. And when the game was done, he wanted to be left alone. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. With, see, when I go out, I'm not even going to have a press conference. <laughs> I'm not. You can't make me. A send-off. Yeah, I do, want a, I do want a send-off. Don't get me wrong. I want a cake <laughs> and a watch. Hey, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Holy cow. None of Tim Duncan, I can promise you that. <laughs> but there is a lot of Pokemon Go. I have know. You, it's out of control. You, yeah. Do you have the app? I don't have, have it. My kids have it. Yet, I can't get a hold of my kids anymore because they're out chasing Pokemon. <laughs> it's it's, it's out of control. It is. It's. I walked out last night to move my garbage, and there's just this random creepy car across the street from me, and I'm like, "What in the world?" Hold on. Do you do you you constantly are out moving your garbage? No, it was windy. Okay, so I didn't want my garbage can to tip over. I see. So I had to move it to a safe location. Yeah, you paid people to move your garbage for you. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> that's Jerem. Okay. Now, I, so I'm moving the garbage, and I just see like this 1988 like Honda Accord or whatever, and this kid's. <laughs> This high school kid's got his phone in front of his face, and I'm like, okay, this is super weird at What's 11 o'clock on? at night. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's he's a pokey hunter. Catch, he's trying to catch a Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pokey hunter. This is, that, I guarantee that will be a new A&E video, or show, okay, the pokey we're, hunter. We're going to talk about Pokemon and how cool. it relates to BYU fandom and Jimmer Fredette. Ooh. The elusive one. Yeah. Jimmer Mania caught fire along with Pokemon Go over the weekend. They they crossed (laughs) paths, and it was rather entertaining. That's good. That's a good show. So we've got, we've got that on the way. Brian Logan is joining us. He's trying to convince us why why he thinks we should download Pokemon Go, and Jason and I have not done it. He tried to get me to do it over the weekend. Still haven't done it. Yeah, it's on Pinterest. Oh, it's on, I'm sure it is <laughs> I'm sure on Pinterest. It is. Huge. I'm sure Brian it is. would know. And Chris Watkins of BYU Women's Soccer, associate head coach, they have loaded up a ridiculously difficult schedule. Why? We're going to talk mm. about that. Great show as usual, gentlemen. Okay, I got to let you go. Go wax and go wax on, go wax off. Matt Townsend, Thank I you. choose you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. And Pokey Go. <laughs> yeah. um, good stuff. Pokemon, it's, on, it's out of control. So, folks, if you haven't heard about it yet, you will. You'll probably hear the story of some kid trying to get a Pokemon, you know, on a subway line, and boom, someone's going to get hurt. All for a game. But it is getting a bunch of kind of out of shape kids out in the sun again, running around. The obesity epidemic is, is it, done. It's going to be it's solved over. by Pokey. Pokemon. Hey, um, we've got a couple stories for you. One we've been teasing for a while. Uh, the What do you do when you find in your backyard in a trailer that you own, a six-foot hornet nest. This is crazy. One Texas family... Whoa. Mm -hmm. Mommy! One Texas family just discovered some unwanted stinging squatters in an old trailer on their property. No one had been in the backyard trailer for at least a decade when Marcus Smith, no relationship, by the way, to our very own Marcus Smith, here at BYU Broadcasting, walked in uh, and and helped his girlfriend's family. They, they were the property owners, and they were remodeling this trailer. At first, he was baffled by what he saw, a mishappened brown mess, he said, nearly six feet tall. 
It seemed to have sprouted from the couch and out the window of the trailer. He said, it looks like a cocoon. It looks unreal. It looks like mold. Okay, that's what all the family members were saying. But it wasn't, folks. It was a nasty, huge hornet's nest. So what do you do? What do you do? Ben, what would you do? I would turn my spray deodorant into a flamethrower. Okay, exactly what we shouldn't do. We do not want to create a flamethrower with a nasty hornet's nest. Obviously, you just get the hose. That's one way to do it. I don't know what you do. This hive must have been something else. Uh, He went online and started Googling and realized the gigantic structure was a hornet's nest. It's hard to say how long it took for the nest to get that big as none of the family members had been in, uh, in, out there for years. Needless to say, now they're calling an exterminator. So nobody died. Except the exterminator. Except there will be. Just know that out of Texas, you will hear a story about a man being probably carried away by a hornet's nest. Um, listen to this. As, we, as you know, we like to always end with a hero story. This is such a cool story. A bunch of inmates broke out of a cell to save the life of a dying prison guard. Officers were probably preparing for the worst when hearing an increasing amount of noise coming from one of the floors of the Parker County Jail on June 23rd. At first, it appeared as though their worst nightmares were coming true. Camera footage showed inmates breaking out of a cell with a security guard lying unconscious on the floor. They, you know, they had to have thought the inmates had taken over. The prison guard in frame had suffered a heart attack. And at least eight prisoners broke out of a locked room and helped the man. He just fell over, inmate uh, Nick Kelton uh, said about the guard, who minutes before was joking with him. Looked like uh, he, you know, he just died right there. The inmates uh, managed to get out of a locked room and started to make noise so that someone would notice and come help. We were worried that they're going to come with guns drawn on us, Kelton added. Floyd Smith, another inmate, added that they thought it was a fight. They thought we were taking over. Anyway, Sergeant Ryan Spiegel said he didn't know what to expect when he got downstairs, alarmed by the unexpected commotion, and uh, the fallen guard had keys and a gun. It could have been an extremely bad situation, but instead the inmates were there. The guards came in. They began to perform CPR on the man, and uh, with a colleague, paramedics were able to resuscitate the guard who survived the incident and will return to work soon. Powerful stuff, folks. So just because they're in jail, too, sometimes they still can care, right? And they're good people deep, deep down, somewhere in their heart. Many of them just want to help. And all of us, folks, can be heroes. Those inmates, they're the hero of the day. They're the hero of the day. That's the show, my friends. We couldn't do it without you. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Look us up on Facebook and iTunes and tune in. Go to BYURadio.org. And again, we'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Next on BYU Sports Nation, the worlds of Jimmermania and Pokemon Go collide all on one wild Saturday night. What can Cougar fans expect from this year's defensive backs? And if we're talking BYU secondary, you know Brian Logan.